Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of the Talking Football podcast. My name's Derek Clark, and every week we try and bring you at least one top-class interview with some of the most colourful and interesting characters involved in the game. With an absolute belter to kick off 2021, as I chatted with well-travelled and much-loved goalkeeper and current Livingston coach Tony Keig, it's more than two hours of brilliant stories and laughs from his time between the sticks at Carlisle, Blackpool, Charlton, Hibs, Newcastle, Gretna, and his two spells in the US at Vancouver and Houston Dynamo. We also hear about his time as a coach and his goalkeeping academy, which you can find more about on his Twitter account, at Cumbria Cells. Tony was in top form and an absolute joy to listen to, so sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. and welcome to another edition of the, the Talking Football podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined this week by much-loved and, and travel goalkeeper and coach Tony Keig. Tony, thank you very much for, for coming on. No problem, Derek. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, pleased you've asked me to come on. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on, uh, Tony. We're just talking off air there about the, the situation we're living in at the moment in terms of yourself. I know you've got some uh, coaching skills and what have you. How's it affected you just now? Yeah, well, everything's just kind of, uh, well, come to a halt, really. Um, you know, after the government made their announcements of, of lockdown, um, the, the English Football Association, they just decided, obviously, everything was going to come to a halt as well. So, um, my, own, my own academies, my own uh, goalkeeping venues I have based around Cymru, they've all had to stop. Um, and the other, the other little bits and bobs I do. So, um, the only the things I've got at the moment, obviously, with my Livingston work, um, coaching there, so... Hopefully that can continue and that'll, that'll keep me sane, you know. Yeah, now we'll touch on that later on, Tony. But looking at the career, um, when you were born back in uh, April 1974, um, growing up in, in Cumbria, did you always want to be a goalie? Was that always the dream? Um, well, yeah, yes and no. I think um, it's funny, I, I, I had, a, I had a, a, a phone call today actually with a guy called Richard Lee who does a, a JK Union podcast and um, we were chatting about the amount of goalkeepers that Cumbria has produced in, in recent years, you know, with Dane Henderson and the Scott Carson, myself, got James Trafford now, he was on the bench for Man City uh, the other night against Man United, you know, so we've, we, we're producing a, a, a few goalkeepers. Um, and I honestly think, especially from West Cumbria, where I'm from, it comes from the rugby league background. Yeah. And we, you know, we're a lot of rugby league growing up. Um, that's the main sport in West Cumbria. So I played at rugby league really, at a competitive level till I was 15, 16 and still playing football as well but rugby league was seen as the sport to try and you know to try and play but um, I think it helped me with my goalkeeping to be honest and it probably helped me with that path when Carl United came calling you know Yeah, Did, did you have any role models or any sort of goalies that you, you wanted to be like? Um, I think well I mean back back then a lot were talking about <laughs> probably the mid 80s so Neville Southall was um, the main man, really, um, at Everton. Uh, Nev was probably the best in the best two or three in the world at one point, if not the best. Um, he was fantastic. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to play against him. He was right at the back end of his career when I was yeah. starting out at Carlisle. Um, you know, I played against him a couple of times. So it was, you know, that was a, that was a highlight. And obviously, Peter Shilton was the England goalkeeper at yeah. the time. Um, 
and Schultz was someone that I would look at as well. And he was he was another one I was fortunate enough to play against later on when he was coming right to the end of his career. He was still he was trying to get a thousand games, so he was still playing. He was playing for Orient in his mid forties. Um, <laughs> so it was uh, you know in in a way it was good to play against them, but also in a way you know you're seeing them at right at the very end. You'd love to have yeah. been you know been playing against them when they were at the peak of the powers. So, but no. Um, those were probably the two main goalkeepers when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned there, Khalil picked you up then as a young as a youngster. How did how did that come about? Did they send scouts to go and were you playing with a boys' club or what have you? Um, yeah, well, I was just playing. I was playing local football. Um, just playing in in local leagues. Um, I'm from a small town called Cleetamua, which is yeah. probably about forty five miles from Carlisle, out in the west coast near Whitehaven, and. Um, there was a guy called Mike Rogan. He was a goalkeeper for Workington Reds for many years when they were in the football league. Played you know hundreds of games in the league for Workington, and he used to uh, manage Whitehaven Sports Centre back back then when he finished playing. And he used to run some uh, football schools in the summer holidays. So I would go on these football schools, you know, all week when I was off school, and he'd do a goalkeeping part and he'd do a goalkeeping day. So he'd, he'd seen me on that, and then. I also played in a five-a-side league in the sports centre on the indoor indoor pitches, yeah. you know, the massive wide goals. And um, <laughs> I was playing in, in a league in that, and Mike used to referee the games because it was a, a league of all these junior teams. And he, he approached me, Dad, and just said, would you mind if I put you know, your, your son's name forward to Carlisle? He said, the manager at Clive Middlemiss was he's a former teammate of mine. Yeah. And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, you know, do what, yeah, it'd be great. So... I got a phone call to go through and train, um, and I trained with the, um, we call it on schoolboys, so like S forms, so all the schoolboys, and it was under 16s, and I, I trained one evening, and Clive Middlemas came to the training, and he, you know, he said to me that night, would you like to sign? Uh, after one session, Mike says that he thinks you're good enough, do you fancy it? And I was like, and because I'd been sort of my rugby league, it, caught, it kind of caught me by surprise, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, my gut feeling. And my dad was like, look, you know, somebody's got to make it. So why shouldn't it be you? So give it a go. And, you know, and it went from there. Yeah, absolutely. And see, when you were there, we've had goalies on before. And, uh, I mean, goalkeeping coaches, and never many clubs didn't have goalkeeping coaches in, in, in the 90s and what have you. What was it, what was it like at Carlisle? Um, well, the, the initial period when I went in, in my last year at school, was um, the around 89, 90 season. Yeah. And the first choice goalkeeper at the time was Dave McKellar for Carlisle, yeah. who ended up going to Rangers and places. And he'd come in and there was a guy called Mark Prudhoe and he was the second choice. And Prudhoe used to do a little bit of coaching. So he used to come in and coach us at the Centre of Excellence. We trained one night a week. So we, But we basically had a, a 10 by 10 square in the corner of the gym. And it was yeah. just like, blasting balls at you for half an hour that was basically that was your training that was your coaching you know he made the best of what he had um, but for me it was like great because you'd never you know I'd only had those little bits with Mike when I was younger and then I'd, I'd, I'd gone into this environment and then signing full time as a scholar the only coaching you got was from the first choice goalkeeper um, Callum O'Hanlon was the first choice when I signed as a, as a 16 year old full time and Basically, you just joined in training, and at the end of training, Kellen would say, "Look, I need ten of these and five of these." So you would serve them, and then he would serve you, and then you just picked his brains and you asked him questions. So 
you had to go searching for yeah. coaching or help. <laughs> um, you found if you asked the senior players, they'd help you, but um, you know it wasn't like you had a designated coach. So you were learning on the job, and you were learning by watching. Like you're yeah. saying, you know, you're about Big Nev and Peter Shilton and people like that. You used to watch goalkeepers and try and look at what they did and think, you know, could you do that? Would that be something you could possibly, you know, copy and, yeah. and, and achieve? So that's how it was then, though. That's how it was. There wasn't coaches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's, it's certainly moved on a bit from the, from from those days, that's for sure. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned there, they had Clive Middlemass signed you and he left and then you had a, a number of different managers there. Um, was there anyone that that, that brought your that brought your your game on, Tony, and and helped you helped you in your career at Carlisle? Yeah, I mean, we had um, from 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 Clive, if I remember rightly, it was uh, Aidan McCaffrey. Yeah, took over, and Aidan had been my youth team coach. Yeah, um, he was a tough guy, you know. He was he was old school. Um, he played he played for Newcastle and Derby, and played for some good clubs as a player. Yeah. Um, he actually went into the police force after he'd been the manager. So, you know, I would imagine he probably got quite well up in the police force, knowing how he was. Yeah. Because um, I can remember him when we were apprentices, he would he would be coming round and checking all the jobs, making sure everything was done properly. We had a head boy in the in the apprentices and he had to go and get the manager. So he had to come down then and check that you'd done all the jobs properly. So he'd come down and check. And if he found something wasn't clean or something wasn't where it should be, it was like, right, lads, do it again. You know, and that's how it was. So you were... You made sure your jobs were right. It was discipline. So when Aidan got the manager's job, um, we were quite wary because we knew yeah. what, what he was like as our <laughs> youth team coach. But to be fair, when he took the first team, I think he found it hard to kind of adapt yeah. to then dealing with the senior professionals because they didn't have the same standards as him sometimes. Yeah. And they would cut corners. So um, it was... It was a bit different for him, but then after after Aidan, there was um, Dave McCreary. Wasn't Dave it? McCreary, yeah. Dave McCreary coming as a player manager, yeah. and Dave McCreary gave me my debut. I was eighteen. I was shooting play for the youth team as an overage player when I was eighteen. Yeah. And I was I turned up to play for them at eleven o'clock in the morning, and then Callum had got flu. This is the days before subkeepers. There's no <laughs> subkeepers, so it's a good it's a good job we were at home and the first team were at home the same day. Yeah. Because if I'd been away down the country. There's no way I could have got back to play. Yeah. So it was case. I'm like, I'm getting changed to warm up at like quarter past half past ten for the eleven o'clock kickoff for the youth team, and it was like, you know, okay, you need to get back down the ground. I took what Kellum's phone and he's got flu, so they're just going to check how he is when he comes in. So I get down the ground for like half eleven, twelve, and Kellum comes in and he's no good. He can't play. So it's basically like you're playing. So. <laughs> Here you're playing, and it was right, and it was probably a good thing. I didn't have much time to think. Yeah. You know, I'm 18, I'm getting thrown into the first team. Um, but there was no mobile phones, there was none of that going on. So I had to run round to the digs, the club digs where I stayed. And they had a pay phone in the digs, so I had to get in the pay phone and phone my mum and dad at home <laughs> and hope they picked up, right? And then phone them and say, I'm playing. So, like, that's them in the car. It's an hour's drive, they're driving through. So they get there just in time for kickoff. And, well, um, yeah, it was mad. It was mad. But we drew one each, um, and uh, I got man of the match. I wow. think it was kind of. I made a couple of saves, and so yeah. It, yeah, that was great. So, but then I never played for a while. You know that yeah. Kellen was back again, and then I was. But I think they then realised potentially I could actually go in and play in the team if I needed to, or if they needed yeah. me to. So I wasn't seen as that untried youngster so much yeah. anymore. But um, yeah, then 
after that there was um, Mick Wadsworth. Yeah, I was going to ask about him because um, I've had uh, Jamie Mitchell on before and he, 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 he says he was the harshest guy. He used to pin him up against the door and all that sort of stuff. He was, oh, he was, he was right... tough, mate. Yeah. He was tough. He was tough. I mean, me and Mick, I know I actually worked for Mick. He went into Gretna for a while. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, he went in as like director of football and I went in as a player coach. So, and that was through Mick, you see. Yeah. And um, he tried to sign me a couple of other times. He went to Beiramar in Portugal. He tried to sign me there when he went oh. in there as a, as manager, and he, he tried to take me to Huddersfield as well. But for whatever reason, the clubs I was at just didn't work out. Yeah. But me and Mick had a bit of a kind of a love hate relationship in that, <laughs> you know, we got on and we get on better now because obviously we're older. But you know, yeah. you know. But back then it was like he was quite fiery and he was quite and you know I would have an opinion even as a young player I would yeah. you know stand my ground and. So we would we would have words, we'd have arguments, we'd have full blown arguments at times, yeah. you know, in the changing rooms. But that was that was a part of it. It happened. It used yeah. to happen. You used to argue with your teammates. You just it was all for the the greater good. It was all to try and get a result. But um, I can remember we played Fulham at home, and um, the pass back had just came in the first <laughs> yeah. season. That yeah. season was carnage, absolute <laughs> carnage. You know, when that came in, because there was goals going in left, right, and centre. Because this thing's just being dropped in, and we're like, as keepers, you've never ever, yeah, you do a bit of passing, and you yeah. kick, you kick long balls, you know, you kick the goal, kick them, you keep it out of your hands, yeah. And you know, when I was young, kicking wasn't my strong point anyway. It wasn't really something I'd really worked at, yeah. And it was like, right, okay, so how's this going to change things? And the amount of goals, so we're playing Fulham at home, and there was a ball over the top, and I was centre back, Dame Wallin. I've pulled away from the goal mouth because it was quite heavy in the goal yeah. mouth. So I've come to the side of the goal, wanted to roll it back. Dano's rolled it straight into the six-yard box. So I'm sprinting to get back. As I go to clear it, it bubbles over my foot, trickles into the net. <laughs> so like the fans are going mental behind the goal. And I've, I'm, I'm fishing the ball out, you know. I'm getting absolute pelters, absolutely battered. And Dano's like, he's away, you know. He's away. I'm nothing to do with this. So at half time, um, fortunately, we just scored before half time. So we went in at one each. Their yeah. goalie made a mistake. Actually, Jim Stannard dropped across and we scored. So yeah. it was one each at half time. So I'm, I'm thinking, right, Mick's going to go mentally, right? So I'm thinking, I've got, to, I've got to try and get me first. You know, my first one in. So I've got in. I've started hammering Dino. Like, why are you playing it back? The goal going mentally. And then Mick's just come in and he's like, no, shut it. Shut it. Basically, he's right in my face, you know. Wow. Your fault. Your fault. You've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. So it was one of them. That was the first time I was like, wow, you know, yeah. this pass back thing, it's going to cause carnage. <laughs> you get lots of footage then. But I would watch on a Monday night the Football League goals. Yeah. And I could probably count 10 goals every from every Saturday where I the keepers involved yeah. somehow. You know, yeah, blunders. Crazy. I know, crazy. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's crazy. It really is. Um, that you had a really good few seasons at Carlisle. That that year you made, uh, you made Wembley the first time when you went and you played Birmingham. Uh, and that uh, was at the Auto Windscreens Trophy. What, yeah, what was that like to play there at Wembley at that at young age? Um, it was um, it was quite surreal to be honest. You know, you you'd yeah. be twenty one. Um, I'd got in the season previously at the Christmas time and the team were um, probably about third or fourth bottom in the division and then yeah. we went on an unbelievable run to get the playoffs 
and they get beaten in the playoffs and then they come back for the following season. In the first 19 games, I think we were unbeaten. Yeah. So we were, we were flying, we were top of the league um, and we almost had the league wrapped up by February, March. We yeah. were absolutely miles ahead, you know. Some point, I think we were 15 points clear at some point, 16 yeah. points. So it was going to take an almighty disaster for anyone to catch us. And the top three went up anyway, so we were top, so we were probably about 20 points clear of, you know, fourth spot. Yeah. Um, and we were on that roll and we got we got the Wembley, you know, obviously the final. We played um, Rochdale in the Northern final and we went, we beat them at home two, uh, 3 0. Played really well on the night, so everyone thinks it's a given, you know, yeah. and we get a Rochdale, we're 2 0 down in 10 minutes. So it was full full scale panic, you know, it was like, you know, you can't lose this. But fortunately, we got through and we held on. But the build up to Wembley was quite surreal, and I don't think I really realised what it was all about until you're actually going up to the stadium yeah. and then you see the amount of people, the fans yeah. that, that, that's there because we went down a few days previously and we were training, we were in a hotel and training at this little training ground somewhere. So we, ha- we had no access to the outside world really. Mm. And then it's like day of the game and we're all suited and booted. You've all got fitted for your Wembley suits and you're on the bus and all of a sudden the police escorts turn up and you think, oh, this is a bit you know different. <laughs> And then there's a helicopter above the bus, and you and you woo, and you talk. It's the TV guiding you in, and and yeah. then you get to the stadium. And Birmingham brought fifty thousand, yeah, on by themselves. So we're pulling up, and you just see Birmingham fans, and all of a sudden you just see all the it was the deck chair kit, you know, we were in that, uh, yeah, that, you know, that crazy kit. So all, the, all the Carlisle fans were in that kit, so you could see them a mile off. And you get to the stadium, <laughs> and we were like, wow, you know, this is real now. This is real. I'm twenty one and thinking. And you just can't, it's really hard to get your head around it. I mean, I was very fortunate. And Mervyn Day was assistant manager. He's um, a top guy, yeah. To, yeah, to Mick. And um, Merv, was, Merv was great for me because Merv had come in as a player. And then I got in the team when his injury kind of kicked in. And Tony yeah. Elliott got injured the other goalie. So that's how I got in the 18 months previous. And Mervyn was talking to me like at the stadium on the bus. He was like, you know, just try and take it all in. He said, I, I played in the cup final here for West Ham. And he said, my biggest regret is the day just went like, like a blur. Yeah. He says, just try and soak some of it in because it's an unbelievable experience, you know, to, to, to do this, no matter what cup final you're playing in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was surreal. And the, just the fans and coming out for the game, you know, walk coming up the tunnel. Because it's like a, you basically come past the buses. The buses are yeah. parked up and you just walk up these. But you can't really see the fans until you get halfway up. And then you get halfway up and all of a sudden you can just, the noise just, and it comes, you know, yeah. probably 75, 80,000. And then it was incredible, incredible that walk across the pitch, you yeah. know, to, to line up for the anthem and stuff. Yeah, great times. Yeah, you don't get that now with the, the new Wembley, don't you? It's sort of, it's, it's lost a wee bit of the, the magic, I think. The, the, it has, the, it has, because that was a part of the thing. I think you're walking yeah. across the pitch, you think back to all the big games at Wembley over the years, yeah. you know, the two teams with the managers leading them across the pitch. Yeah. You know, that was... That was a thing, and I think also that was a good. That was for the sometimes the players in that were either loving it and like, oh, this is unbelievable, or they were like, oh no, this is you know, yeah. it's actually it's not a good thing this because they've got too long to think about it now. <laughs> uh, you know, as you're walking up that, you know, walking across the pitch. But now it was a um, fantastic day. Fortunately, unfortunately, we lost. You know, yeah. you know, the goal in extra time, but um, but it was a, a fantastic experience. Something you never forget. 
But you'd, you'd win, of course, in your next visit there um, in the same trophy, and you'd save a, a couple of uh, some penalties as well, a couple of penalties in, in the shootout. Um, what, can, can you remember much about, about that game against uh, Colchester? And I guess it was quite a party after that one. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it was it was actually, um, it wasn't a great game. There wasn't a lot of chances. Um, it got extra time. Neither team really wanted to lose it. Um, and then we, the penalties come and it was, it, well, Owen Archdeacon was our penalty taker all season. That season, Archie, and Archie had not missed a pen. And Mr. Mr. Reliable, and then he misses in the shootout, and you're like, you know, this doesn't look good. It's not, because that's just not Archie, you know. And yeah. um, fortunately, I, you know, I saved two pens. Um, and, it, you know, then Steve Haywood scored the winner, and it was like that, that feeling, the emotion of, because obviously losing there two years previously, yeah. And then to be down in the shootout, and you think it's slipping away again, you know. And then, and, and I think I know I was only twenty three, but you think, and I've been to Wembley twice. I can't lose two finals. Yeah, I can't. I've, I can't lose two. You know, the first one you can almost take because it was the occasion, but the second yeah. time, you know, come on. So it was, you know, we, you know, we won it, and the the feeling afterwards. I mean, then all the lads were in the were in the dressing room. They had to kick us out. You know, we were in there, the, the communal baths were in there having a beer and the music's on and we were in there for ages. We were just wanting to stay there all night, you know, the lads. And it was like, you've got to go and do the press, you know. And I remember going through the press and you've had a couple of drinks and you're like, oh, you walk in this room, there's just press everywhere. And you're like, oh, I've got to try and be sensible you know, and try and, you know, play things down. And I can always remember, I sat, we sat down and one of the first questions I got asked, I was out of contract, you see. Yeah. Carl out that time. There's a bit of rumours going around the different clubs. And like one of the first questions was, Well, so you know, you're out of contract. That it was all about me contract. And I'm thinking, seriously, you know, just let me enjoy the moment. Yeah. You know, I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing tomorrow, never mind, yeah. you know, anything else. So um yeah, we had a good night that night and spent most of it with Owen Archdeacon. Actually, Archie was like, by the end of the night, he's like, Oh, you, you know, he was almost crying on us, you know, you've saved me, right. you've saved me, but it was uh, no, nah, it was good times. Really good, good squad, good group of lads. Really, yeah. really. I know you hear that all the time, but it was a really solid. You know, it was two different teams almost from the first time to the second time. It was the first yeah. team that got there broke up a little bit. There was quite a few players sold on, so it was a rebuilding job. And Mervyn Mervyn Day took over as manager and rebuilt a really good side. Yeah, and it, it, there was a real togetherness in what we were doing and obviously we were having a good season as well in the league so that that obviously helps as well Yeah now, Michael Knighton was of course the, the chairman at the time I was I doing a bit of research but I mean that game he threatened to pull you out before the final did that, did that affect the players did you pay much attention to that sort of stuff? Um, not really it, for us we, we were around him he was around all the time Yeah, and if, the, if he wasn't centre of attention there's something wrong you know, and that's what he was like. If I think if he felt the focus going away from him, he had to bring it back to him with something crazy. So, but we knew what he was like. I mean, he was um, he was larger than life. Yeah. He was. He made all these massive bold predictions when he bought the club. You know, yeah. we're going to be in the Premier League in ten years, and he was going to build. He was building an academy and a hotel and a butterfly kingdom, and all this was all going to be at the stadium. And we were like, what? I mean, there was all kinds. He was, he was some guy, and I mean, for for probably four or five years. I mean, even if you speak to Carlisle fans now, it was probably the best time they've had in in the sense of you know with how he was and 
what it what it was like. And I think that that the, the feel good factor around the city, the feel good factor with the team, we felt it as players. There was a real connection with the fans and the players. We were getting good crowds. We were getting we were following us in the thousands for away games. It was it was really really good. And then it went a bit sour towards the end. You know, within and, and, it, and it didn't end too well. But I'd left the club at this by this point, yeah. so um, it was a bit, it was a bit of a shame, really, a bit of a shame how it all ended. Yeah, and I was going to ask you when you left it in '99, um, were you sad to leave at the time, Tony, or did you did you did you fancy a, a fresh sort of challenge? Um, I think I mean I'd been at the club from 1990 when I left school, and this was '99, so I'd been there nine years full time, um, and. I got to the point where I think, I w- yes, I would like a change. I wasn't desperately looking for it because um, I was still enjoying my football. I still enjoyed playing for the club. Um, you know, at this point, I was close to 300 games. You know, I'm, I'm actually starting to think about, you know, potentially I could break records, you know, four, five, 600 games at one club. Yeah. And then... It, it was my contract was running out, and I was trying to I was trying to sort a new contract out, but the, the chairman was just not having it in terms of sitting down and really talking about it seriously. So it got to uh, Nigel Pearson came in as manager. Yeah. So Nigel initially, when he came in, he, he couldn't believe I wasn't, and me and a few other players, he couldn't believe we weren't signed and sorted in new deals for yeah. to continue. So he was trying to get it sorted his whole time since he come to the club and. And then it was back in the days of transfer deadline day. It wasn't the tra- transfer windows. So yeah. there was a deadline day in March, the last Thursday in March. And I just got a call on the Wednesday off Michael Knighton saying, we've had an offer off Blackpool. Do you want to speak to them? And it was like, well, you know, are you going to make me an offer? Are you going to put something yeah. in front of me? Do I, do I need to make the trip down? And, you know, and he was like, well, I'm not in a position to do that at the moment. So I was like, right, well, I've got to go and speak to them. So yeah. I drove down, met Nigel Worthington. Um, I agreed everything on the contract, but I didn't sign because I needed I needed to have a medical. I mean, it's not like a medical now. Basically, you went to see your doctor and check you had all your fingers and toes. That's what it was <laughs> back then. And it, it was like, you need to see the doctor in the morning. So I drove back up to Carlisle and Nigel Payson had said when I was going down, do not sign until you come back to me. Yeah. So I rang Nigel, as soon as I got back to Carlisle, I rang him and he said, come and meet me. We're staying in a hotel not too far from where I was living. So I went up to see him and he said, look, if I can get something sorted in the morning, will you will you sign? And I said, yeah, but I said, Nigel, I'm, I'm, I'm driving down in the morning, I've got a medical uh, and then I'll try and delay signing it till after training. Yeah. So I'll train and then I'll have to sign it after training because we'll need to get it registered because I'm going to play on Saturday. So they were like, he was like, right, so drive down, boom, get down there. And I ended up phoning him and saying, right, what's happening? And he's like, I'm trying to get him something sorted. He's going to ring you, he's going to ring you. So it got to three in the afternoon, deadline's at five o'clock. I'm parked outside Bloomfield Road. Nigel Worthing's looking out the window, trying <laughs> to see where I'm at. You know, like, what's happening? Are you signing this or not? And then, I, and then I'm just, I'm thinking, I've got, what am I going to do? So eventually he rings me. Uh, the chairman and says, um, "Look, I can make you an offer." So he offers me a three-year contract, verbally over the phone. And I said, "Right, okay." I said, "Can you fax that?" Because these yeah. are the days of the fax machines. Can yeah. you fax that? Um, 
to where my wife works. And he went, um, well, why don't you just come back up the road and we'll sort it all in the morning. Aye. I'm like, wow, right. I said, look, Michael, I said, with all due respect, I've been trying to sort this out for six months. And now you're telling me there's a three-year deal, but we can't, I can't get it in writing until the morning. Aye. So I just said, look, I'm signing for Blackpool. Um, so I went in, I signed the deal, and I drove back up home. And, um, you know, I got a bit of a, a bit of a grilling basically in the papers, you know, the local papers and yeah. stuff like that. And it was made, it, it was made to sound like that I wanted to leave more than anything. And, yeah. and it wasn't that. I, I, so I, I actually, the papers spoke to me and I told the truth. I said, look, no, no, it wasn't like that. I was trying to get something sorted. But I said, basically in six weeks time, I was out of contract. And I said, you know, Wendy was pregnant at the time. I said, yeah. you know, just bought a house. I said, look, I'm not, you know, we're not a mega money here, by the way. We're not a mega bucks. You know, I just, I, I just need my, my future sorted for the next yeah. couple of years. That's all I'm looking for. And he wasn't prepared to do it. So that's how it all ended. And it was a shame, really. But something went on with the fee. The fee was reported at five grand. And then then it was 40 grand. And I, and I was no, I had no idea. People used to say to me, how much was it for? I said, I have not got a clue. Aye. All I know is I, it was nothing to do with me. I never saw any of it. You know, Aye. so it was, uh, it was a strange move. And it was a, tra- a strange transfer. Yeah. Cause you'd be close. To, you'd have been close to a, a testimonial, what have you, at Carlisle, wouldn't you? But at that time, yeah, I was. I mean, that was a part of what I was trying to to, to organise within it. Yeah. You know, if if I, if I did sign three years, you know, it's four hundred games or ten years service. That's how it kind of works out. So yeah. I was I was going to hit both those marks yeah. potentially over that contract. So you know, I was like, look, you know, if I can get some kind of benefit game, a testimonial game in there somehow, um, and we used to always play the big North East teams in pre-season friendlies. So we played Middlesbrough, Sunderland, Newcastle, at least one of those at home over yeah. pre-season. So if that could have been my testimonial, you know, potentially we could have got 10, 15,000 in for, yeah. for the game. So, you know, and it was just like, he just wasn't forthcoming with it. So it was yeah. disappointing in, in all aspects of it because I thought, well, you know what, I've give good service. You know, I've, I, hadn't missed the, I hadn't missed the game in four seasons that point yeah. you know played with injuries as you did you know you don't want to pat on the back for that you just did you just didn't want to lose yeah. your shirt but you know there was probably times I played I shouldn't have um, but you, you think you know what no I want to be out there I want to play I want to try and help you know if the team's not doing well I want to try and be in the team and help so no it was just disappointing how it ended but you know what it doesn't change anything you know I love my time it was a great time in my career really I fully enjoyed it fully yeah enjoyed it. At Blackpool, they had some cracking players, but they sort of underachieved it a little bit, didn't they? The likes of Brett Onrod, Ricky Lambert was there, Richie Wellens, um, Clark Carlisle as well. So they had some some right good players, but sort of struggled a little bit. We did. We did. It was a strange. <coughs> it was strange because when you looked at the squad, like you've just said, you know, when I was going in there and I'm looking at the squad, yeah. and I'm thinking we're going to get promotion. Yeah. That that was my thought. And I think the pressure was on for us to get promotion, and we didn't. We didn't start too well, and um, there was a bit of unrest in the time. The manager Nigel Worthington, he was. This was his first management job, yeah. And Nigel was chopping and changing the team a little bit, and you know he was upsetting one or two of the senior players, and he wasn't too much older than them, as well. Some of these old, like David Barsley was with us, the right back. Yeah. He played for Watford. He played for QPR England. So we had a really good squad. You know what I mean, and and it was just just wasn't right. There was just something not quite right, and 
Nige, um, you know, looking back, you know, how he handled some of the situations, you know, as he went on in his management career, he'd probably have handled it differently yeah. as he got more experience because, you know, he's ambitious as a manager. He's just finished playing. He wants to do well as a manager. He's got all these players that he thinks should be. Why is it not working? You know, and I think a lot of frustration came into it, to be honest. Yeah. But, we, you know, the players are, you know, it's not the manager's fault. The, the players have to play. You know, this is the thing. You know, you've got to keep your end of the bargain up. You've got to perform. All, all said and done. If you're not performing, and I think we were saying there's a bit of a scalp as well at times in, yeah. in that division, you know, and there's a lot of local derbies. You know, we had Wigan, we had Burnley, we had Preston. We're all in the division at the same time. So we seem to be playing a local rival every other week. <laughs> and you know what it's like? If you don't come out on the right, the right side of the result yeah. in those games, the pressure soon mounts. It soon mounts. You know, and that's what it was like, I think. Yeah. Uh, from there, I've, uh, I moved to the, the Premier League then. Uh, Charlton come calling. How did that, did that just come out of the blue, uh, Tony? Or how did that come about? It did, yeah. I mean... Um, the manager had changed at Blackpool. Steve McMahon had come in, um, and I was, um, I was in the team, and um, we went. We had a pre-season trip away uh, to uh, Saint Kitts in the Caribbean. I don't know how that came about. <laughs> we had three. We had three. It was a last-minute job. I think a Premier League team were due to go out there, and at last moment pulled out. <laughs> so our club got. We all got a message like, "Are all your passports up to date? Have you got six months left on your passports?" We'd had no training. We basically got on a bus and, and went down to Heathrow and then flew to the Caribbean. We'd had no training, nothing. <laughs> so we land and we've got three games. It was like madness. It was too hot to train. There was one day we trained, there was like sheep on the pitch and it was like, the grass was like that long. So the manager just sacked off training. So we never trained once the whole week. So we just played the games. Um, so we had that, 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 that was the start. But when we went out there, it was the very first year squad numbers had came in. Yeah. So you were all basically you're one to eleven and subs, weren't you back then? So then it was like squad numbers. So it was one one. So he was giving out you had you were designated a squad number, and he gave the number one to Phil Barnes, <laughs> which I thought was quite odd. Yeah. Because I was playing. So and then I got a feeling off him from the very first day we got there, that he's going with Barnesy. I could just sense it. So I was given the 13, the dreaded 13 shirt. So I thought, right, well, my days are numbered. So then Barnsley, that, that one day we trained, we were on this cow patch with, you know, all the sheep and, and the goats. There was goats on it and everything. Right? Barnsley turns his ankle in the session. So he can't train, he can't play. So we have this game against St. Kitts, the national team. Just come, you know, this game, all, the, the whole island's there watching. And we've not had one training session. So we play this game, and I can't even remember the scoreline, but we, we play another, we played a team from Jamaica who come over and players, and then we play like a local, basically a waiter's 11 in another game, you know. And um, so we play all the games and we, we win them all. And then we come back and Barnes's ankle's still not great. He's torn ligaments. So yeah. I play all the friendlies all the way through, um, do all right, you know, feeling good. Um, our last friendly is Blackburn at home and I'm pretty sure they just won the Premier League it was like Shearer that team yeah. Shearer and Sutton and all those were in the team yeah. um, Colin Engie Tim Flowers so yeah. we played them at Bloomfield we drew nil-nil and I had a good game you know and I thought right well he's got to be seeing me differently now so I play the first five 
five, six games. Uh, three clean sheets, doing all right. Go away to Scunthorpe. Peter Beagley slices the cross over me. I touch it onto the bar. He drops down. And the centre forward smashes it in. And we lose the game 1-0. So after the game, very quietly, he just says, what do you think? You know, Could you have done better? And I went, if I get a touch on it, Gaffer, I can always think I can get it over the bar. I should have maybe got more on it. He got it over the bar. So he's like, aye, fair enough. So that was that. So Barnsley was getting fit now. We had Norwich in the League Cup on the Tuesday night and he just went, straight away just went, boom. I wasn't even in the squad Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Just out the squad. <laughs> and he brought in a loan goalkeeper. He brought in a loan. So it was like, what? I'm like, what? so it was like, you know, to take stock of this, what's going on here? So, um, and then he, he was messing around. That goalkeeper then gets injured. So he brings in another loan goalkeeper. Barnes is playing. Barnes is struggling. So he switches them around. So he brings in another lone goalkeeper. So I'm not even in the squads. Right? And I'm the most experienced goalie there. right? And But even the lads were starting to look going, what's he doing? Why hasn't he even got him in? Why is he not even in the squad? Not even in the bench. So then uh, Barnsley's got Barnsley's ill and the goalkeeper he signs on loan, he hasn't got his registration in time. We're playing Mansfield away and he has to come to me and say, he'll have to play. He'll have to travel and play. So I travel across, we play. He doesn't speak to me, right? We win 1-0. We win 1-0. Um, I make a couple of saves later on. I mean, I think the team had lost four or five on the bounce then. So I think he was he was probably under pressure. If we'd lost that night, it might have been him. That might have been him done. We won 1-0. And um, didn't really say a word to me. We go back on the bus. We get back. Um, squad goes up on Friday for the Saturday game. And I'm not in the squad. He's not in the squad and you're like wow so I just you know I went to see him he went, then I was I mean these were the days before um, you know like now you know obviously welfare of players and involvement yeah. inclusion everything it's paramount it's a big part of the game now and it's right and rightly so but these were the days where you know you could be separated from the squad so yeah. me and a couple of other players who we didn't want in the squad we had to train by ourselves so we had to come in at different times to train in the squad and things like that. It was bizarre. We used to go running down there. We used to run from Blackpool Pleasure Beach up to St. Anne's Pier and back. That was our training, the three of us, the three amigos, me, Andy Cousins and Junior Bent. That was the, the three of us. And we used to be like running in the sand, you know, like and we'd be sitting in the sand dunes, hiding in the sand dunes on the way back, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's, like, it's mental. But if you think about it, you know, we hadn't. We weren't disruptive. We weren't yeah. bad people or anything. He just wanted us out of the club, but yeah. that was how it was done then. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of ostracised and alienated people. Now you tell players, look, you're not a part of my plans. Yeah. Try and speak your agent. Let's try and sort something out where you can go to another club. Let's all be adults about it, you know. Let's be yeah. grown-ups. So that's how it was. So I ended up at Charlton by... Um, I, w- I went on the transfer list. And I asked to go on the transfer list. Obviously, my days were done. So, um, Mervyn Day was at Charlton as right. assistant manager to Alan Kirbyshire. Yeah. So, they were looking for a goalkeeper. Um, Dane Cartley and something had happened with Sasha Illich. I'm not sure if he got injured or he got sent off in a reserve game or something. So, he was, I think it was violent conduct. So, it was like a three-game ban. Yeah. So, they needed someone to go straight in. So, I was straight into the squad and on the bench in the premiership um, yeah. for Charlton. So it, just, it was like a phone call. I was driving into Blackpool for me run down the beach 
<laughs> and I got a phone call to say, turn around, go home, <laughs> and get pack your car up and drive to London. And that's where it was. And I, I was amazed that Steve McMahon actually let it happen, to be honest, yeah. the move. I thought he might have scuppered it. But to be fair, you know, to be fair to him, he wanted me out of the club and then there was an opportunity to move me out of the club. So I was gone and, and yeah. that was me. Yeah, I never went back. See, that, see when you, you said you went to speak to him and things like that, did, did they give you a sort of answer? Did they just not like, like you'd been around the club? Even though, uh, he just, it he a just bit said, weird. like, you know, it was weird. You couldn't really get a straight, um, like, you know, if he'd said to me, look, I don't fancy you as a keeper. You're not for me. Yeah. I don't rate you. And all that. Look, you have to take that on the chin, you know. Like yeah. it's like through your football career, you'll have been in some clubs. Some sets of fans will think you're all right. Some some sets of fans will think you're the worst keeper they've ever had. It's just, yeah. it's just, it goes with the territory, you know. You yeah. if you're going to play for twenty years and play for a number of clubs, you can't be brilliant at all of them, you know. It, it's um, it's just not. It's probably it's just not realistic. So if he'd said to me, look. Tony, you know, you're not for me. I want this kind of keeper. I want that. And this is what I'd have been fair enough. But I always got, you know, when I said about moving on and going on the transfer list, I always got a don't be too hasty. I was like, what do you mean, don't be too hasty? You're not, you're not involving me in the squads. I've gone from being the first choice to not in the squad. So, you know, just if you, if you think I'm not for you, tell me I'm not for you. Yeah. We don't have to fall out about anything then. You know, we can be grown-ups. You know, not everyone in life has to, be, you know, get on and be all that, you know. So it was, um, so that's how it was strange. And then, you know, obviously I left and I went. And I went on loan initially to Charlton just to get the deal done and get me down there. And so I did like three months on loan. And then I just signed a permanent contract till the end of that season. Um, And then I had, they'd offered me another year to stay at Charlton. And um, Brighton offered me a contract. Yeah. Um, and QPR offered me a contract and I was like, you know, I was looking at the clubs. QPR and Brighton, I would have had a really good chance of playing. See, Charlton was going to be difficult because Dane Kiley was nailed as the number one and, you know, a really good goalkeeper. Yeah. So it was it was going to be difficult that. So then it was um and ah about what I would do. And then, then the Hibs thing came up. Yeah. The Hibs thing came up kind of last minute at the end of the end of the summer, really. Yeah. yeah. Before we look at that, I mean, Charlton, they had some cracking players as well, didn't they? We had um, Mark Fish on recently as well. He's, he spoke highly his time down there. He's, he, he loved it. But, I mean, yeah. they had like Sandy. Scott Parker was, was a youngster there at the yeah. time. Klaus Jensen was obviously a class player. Really good players oh, there. At yeah. The time. yeah, good players, yeah. We had, um, it was a really good really good squad. Um, good good side. Alan Kirby built a really good side. Yeah. And there was actually a good bit of depth as well. You know, when you look... You look at the players that were coming off the bench. You know, you had proper old campaigners in like Graham Stewart as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Stewie had been out, uh, Chrissy Powell, left back. You yeah. know, obviously went on and got an England cap playing for Charlton. Yeah. You know, and they say a big fishy Simon at the same time as me. Me and him were in the hotel together for three months. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, fishy, fishy's a great guy, you know. I, 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 I didn't know him. I'd never met the guy. And then it was like, I'd signed and then a day or two later, the gaffer said, look, oh, uh, Big Fishy sign used to look after each other, you know, in the hotel. It was like, yeah, yeah, no bother. So, um, you know, me and him were like, me and him were travelling to training together. We would, you know, we were always kicking around the hotel and, you know, go to the pool after training and what have you. And, uh, yeah. But he's some guy, I mean, he was just, 
he had his own set of rules, you know, in terms <laughs> of life, you know, like life for fish. He was, he's seen it through a totally different set of eyes to anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like he, you know, we, I mean, we go, we go into um, Blackheath, you know, I, I moved out the hotel and I, I ended up staying with some family in Blackheath in London. Yeah. And Fishy didn't live too far. But um, Fishy was in the hotel for a little period of time in Bexley Heath while I was in Blackheath. So we'd meet up and have a beer for the day off the next day. And yeah. he'd come down and, and he'd like, he, he, he would do bizarre things, you know, like he'd, he'd say, he'd say, what are you having a drink? And he'd go like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get myself a wine. And I'd be like, yeah, all right, no bother. But he'd come back with like a pint of wine. Like a pint of wine and soda. It's like a full pint with like ice and you're like, fish, you meant to drink wine in wine glasses. You know, it's quite strong stuff. Ah, it'd be all right. be all right. And then he'd start telling you, you know, I really want to have my own vineyards when I finish playing. That's what I want. I want to have my own vineyards. <laughs> I'm thinking, you don't need to have vineyards. You're all right. But <laughs> you'd be drinking it all. So he's, uh, he was... He was some character. I like, I like Fishy. He was um, him and uh, Andy Todd as well. The, the lad who he, he was a poem with Fishy as well. Some us three kind of got on really, yeah. really well. Yeah, yeah. He's a larger than life character, that's for sure. Um, yeah. you, you move up to Hibs then. Um, well, how did that come about then? Uh, moving up there, and did, how did the, the the move come about? Um, the the my agent at the time. Um, this is when agents had started to become quite yeah influential. And it was my agent at the time was Ken Anderson, who recently owned Bolton Wanderers. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that was my agent. I mean, I know. Um, you know, when it, when I said he was buying a football club, I was like, "Oof, that's not going to end well." And <laughs> so, you know, Ken, I, I I can't remember how I got put under Ken. I think he was a part of my deal. When I went to Charlton, yeah, from Blackpool, um. He'd been speaking to a guy called Glenn Skivington who had been doing a little bit of agency work for me. I wasn't signed with him. But yeah. but Glenn had said, look, he's Ken Anderson. He's got, he's, he knows people at Charlton. But the deal came around through Mervyn Day, really. Yeah. You know, that's what, how it came around. But anyway, Ken, Ken's, you know, saying to me, yeah, I'll help you, da-da-da. So I signed with Ken. So all summer, it was like, I had the Charlton offer, QPR. So I'd, I'd agreed with QPR. And at the last moment, they kind of started, they didn't withdraw the offer, but they started changing the numbers around. Yeah. So I was starting to, it was starting to, it was a bit iffy. I was thinking, what's going on here? Then I quickly realised they were trying to sign me and Chris Day as well. So, and they were signing Chris Day from Watford. So yeah. they, were, they, were, they were taking a little bit off me to give to Chris. So it was like, I was trying to work it out. That's a bit odd. You yeah. know, I've agreed it on the Friday. I'm going down to sign Monday, but on the Sunday morning, I'm like, it's it's different, but we yeah. still want to sign you. So I was like, right, I, I don't get it. But then, so Ken had found out. So Ken said, look, Hibs, you know, Hibs really wants someone in. You know, at that time, they just finished the, they got a, they got into Europe, they got the cup final, yeah. and Nick Colgan had been playing every week, but they didn't feel like they really had that real competition for Nick. Yeah. So. It was like, would you fancy it? And I, I mean, when I lived in Carlisle and I uh, played at Carlisle, me and Wendy used to go up to, me and my wife used to go up to Edinburgh quite a bit. Yeah. So as soon as I said, we were living in Preston at the time. So as soon as I said to Wendy, would you fancy Edinburgh? And like straight away, it was, oh yeah, that was a, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, Hibs is a good, really good club. And Alex McLeish was manager and uh, Andy Watson was assistant and that big Westie. Who we had on? I watched. I, yeah. I watched Westies. <laughs> and, uh, 
Big West, he was goalkeeping coach. Yeah. So I thought, why not? So I went up um, and Alex had a, Alec McLeish had a little hotel just not far from Easter Road. So we, we me and Derek Townsley, me and Derek Townsley stayed in there and Big Degsy, me and him were scholars, apprentices together at Carlisle. So, so we've come across each other's paths. I met Alex McLeish, I was driving up, he says, you big mate in the hotel. I'm like, who's that? He goes, Derek Townsley. He went, no way. He says, yeah, I'm standing him from Motherwell. I was like, all right. So me and Degsy reconnected and made him, you know, we were good pals. We are to this day, you know, we, we, we made up to this day. So, um, yeah, and then it, it just came around like that. And then it was basically, got there on the Sunday night and we trained for a couple of days and then it, we were going to um, France for a two or three pre-season games. And obviously we had Frank in the team, yeah. David Totelli, Freddie Arpignon. We had quite a French connection of, of players in the team. So that's where that came about. So um, we went out there and played uh, three games. So as soon as we got out there, we basically said, look, I want to offer you a contract and he got it sorted there and then out in France so I signed the contract and then I went with the physio we got on a train and I went and got a medical at some doctors in France somewhere some guy me and the physio and didn't have a clue what he was saying it was the usual medical touch your toes fingers yeah. toes get the little knee re- reflex test and yeah. jobs are good and you know so um, and that was it done and uh, yeah it was uh, yeah it was good I enjoyed my time at Hibs it didn't you know, it didn't go too well in terms of, I got in the team and did okay. Then I had a, I got battered in that, the derby, which doesn't help. And yeah. um, I was going to ask, what was it like to play that, that, that game? Brilliant. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't change it for the world. I know this, we got hiding and the, the scoreline, but um, to play in a game like that and feel that, that, that feel that desire and that, that, yeah. that pressure and that, you know, the, the motion of the fans. You know, and especially at Tynecastle, it's right on top of you. You know, it's like literally touching yeah. distance. It's one of the best football stadiums to play football, I think, Tynecastle. Yeah. Just because of that, the atmosphere yeah. it can generate when it's when it's full. Um, and, you know, the game itself, obviously, we, you know, didn't go well. But, um, you know, it pops up on Sky now and again, those games. You know, the yeah. SPL's greatest games. And, <laughs> you know, I made Mark Revis's career for him. And he's like, you know, and it's, you look back at it and I think, you know what, I didn't actually do that bad in the game, but it's just that you've got, you've conceded so many. Yeah. I always knew after that game, it was, it was going to be really difficult to, to claw that credibility back with the fans. Yeah. You know, because up to that point, I'd done all right. I was steady away, you know, I got like 10, 15 steady performances in. Yeah. You know, I was keeping Nick out the team and, I was just starting to get where I wanted to be, and then bang, like as a, the life of a goalkeeper, isn't it? You know that just comes from nowhere, and all of a sudden it's like I'm playing catch up now. Yeah. You know, no matter what I do now, it's like. And then I think Bobby could sense it, the manager, because yeah, Bobby, you know, he, yeah, Bobby could, could sense it, the whole thing because the TV deal was getting changed around with Sky and the BBC, and so they were looking to cut costs all the clubs. So they were just looking to try and get players pushed on as much as they could. So I was kind of one of those that they come to straight away. You know, can we? You know, can we do something? Can we? Yeah. You know, and, and it was like, all right. So that's how other things came about. But I really enjoyed my time there, and I wish it could have. I wish it would have been longer, and I wish yeah. it had gone slightly better than it did. But you know, like when people talk to me now and about, and obviously I'm involved in Scottish football. 
you know, I have a really fond memories of Hibs. I really enjoyed playing for Hibs and I enjoyed being at the club and I, and the people at the club as well. You know, and there's still some people there now from my days, you know, the doc, you know, the kit man and all, the, the way Tom McCott and all these guys were still, they were all a part of the club then. Yeah. So they're still there now. And so when I go back there, it's like it brings it all back. And I just think of the squad as well. We had a really good squad. You know, and you think about that squad of players we had. It's only now when you get older and you look back at it, you think, wow, all the young lads that were coming through as well as the really, like your Frank Sauzer, I mean, Frank was... Frank was a top player. I mean, he was a top player. And I seen him at 36. So I'd yeah. love to have seen him at 26. You know? He's a class act. Yeah. But you mentioned the uh, Westy. We had him on, he says that if, if Hibs kept all those players that, I mean, they had so much, so much talent back then, if they managed to keep a hold of them, they'd have won the league. Were they that, were they that good when, when you were there at Hibs, Tony? Oh, I think that, I think, you know, I heard Westy say that. And he, you know, he rhymed off all the players and, and when you rhyme them off like that, because initially you're a bit like, oh, are you sure? But then then you hear all them names and you know what, he's got a point. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they'd have won it, um, but they would have definitely been in the mix. Yeah. They would have ruffled the feathers of the old firm, I think, definitely. because yeah. I, mean, beat, I mean, they used to go to Ibrooks regularly and beat Rangers and what have you, and they beat Celtic, and I mean, it wasn't an issue for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they got, got good results against the old firm. You know, there was a genuine, um, you can always tell, you know, we'd, we'd play Rangers and Celtic and if we didn't get something from the game, there was a real genuine feeling of disappointment. Yeah. You know, after the games, it wasn't like, well, we had a right go and, you know, but it just didn't work out. It was definitely, it was a feeling of, you know, if we hadn't got something against Motherwell, or we hadn't got something against St Mirren. It was the same feeling of like we should have got something from that game. So the and that and I think that comes from the management as well. You know, and the, especially in Alice McLeish and Bobby was the same. You know, he used to set his teams up to be tough to beat. Um and and there was there was games, I mean we drew at Ibrox two each once, I remember that, and Brebsy scored late on. Um, yeah. you know the Celtic games, we always lost by the odd goal and you know, what What was it that, you know, was it because they got in front and they were just more solid about the shape? But Celtic were a difficult team to play against. They were so strong physically. Yeah, that's They were it. a really physical side and, and and also had some quality. But then Rangers were just like, Rangers had, you know, had everyone. You know, the players like the Newman and the Boar and these guys, Kinigia. It yeah. was like Barry Ferguson was just starting to really, Amaru saw Stefan Klotz. Yeah. It was like, you know, this is a top side, a top side, and you just—it was very difficult. Both teams were slightly different to play against, but I think I agree with Westy. I think if you kept all those players, but it would never happen. You can't turn down the money. It's there's just too much money on offer. Some of these guys, and these guys are going to want to leave as well. You know, for for bigger clubs. You know, you know nothing against Hibernian football clubs. It's a great club, but if you're getting the opportunity to go, you know, for the club's going to get a few million quid and then you imagine the contracts these lads are going to go on to. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult for the player to say no and it's very difficult for the club to say no as well for the fees so, because it protects the long-term future of the club. So, But no, a really good squad, good good times. You know, Craig Brewster, Paco Luna as yeah. well and, and Gary O'Connor, Diggs, Derek O'Regan coming through and, you know, we had, we had players, Ulysses who, 
absolutely hate like cold. Cold. Oh, he, um, he used to sit in his flat with the heating on like like <laughs> last now 100 degrees and have a sleeping bag on and that and he's like he'd come to training and he'd be like he'd just walk in shaking his head every morning you know like what's I remember we used to go up and train on uh, Portobello Beach because we couldn't get anywhere to train <laughs> you see he's getting out the car like seriously are we training are we going on there and I remember we'd have we'd have the markers down for goals and as the tide's coming in we're having to move the markers up the beach you know it was like brilliant and I think and you know the lads now if they had to do things like that they'd be like they'd, no, no. they'd be born in the PFA you know <laughs> <laughs> they've got a state of the art training ground now it's, 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 it's something oh, else I know everything's, everything's laid on now isn't it aye yeah. um, see you touched on Frank Sozzi before look, your, your, look at your time at Newcastle um, you get given the, the, the manager's job and it never really quite worked out for him it was, was how did you think that happened? Do you think it just just wasn't suited to management because he's not really done any coaching after that, really? Yeah, I think I felt for Frank because he was a obviously we we thought about how good of a player he was, but as a guy as well, he was a really a good guy and yeah. um, he was he was a good guy in the dressing room. He was a good yeah. good sounding board for everybody, um, and you could speak to him. It was funny because Frank, it was. You know, the best way to describe it was Frank never had, Frank hardly trained because of his injuries he'd had. So, in, in all honesty, when, when McLeish had the job, when McLeish was in charge, sometimes you wouldn't see Frank till Friday. <laughs> and seriously, you know, it'd be like, and I'm, and Frank, by the way, would be, he was a member at like uh, Ballantyne's gym or something, so he'd be on yeah. the bike, he'd be going swimming, he'd be doing, doing work, but he wasn't at the club. <laughs> so, so he'd, he'd turn up on a Friday and we'd do like we'd do like a small side of games on a Friday and walk through some set players and maybe a little talk about team shape for the next day but that's the only training Frank done very rarely I can't remember Frank training more than two days in a row and and that was just through his injuries and I, and you could, I could understand it you know Alex McLeish was like I need to wrap this guy in cotton wool because I need him for Saturday so I can remember like the lads There'd be, a, you know, when Frank come in, there was always a round of applause for Frank. You know, oh, he's made it. You know, he's he's alive, and you know, so he'd come in, and and the guys were like, you know, he took it, he took it well, but then he yeah. gets the job, so he's gone from like never being in, <laughs> being the main man on a Saturday, being the captain, and like being the main man, and and training once or twice a week and then playing, and all of a sudden he's manager, and it was like, oh right, okay. Um, he had Wade Parky, Donald Park was his assistant. Parky was great, you know, he was that link. Parky's a good coach and a, and a good guy and he could have that, he had that real, you know, he was a stickler for the discipline and making sure things were right because I think Frank struggled with that side of it. I think yeah. a lot of these guys were his teammates. Yeah. You know, he'd been, he'd played with them for two or three seasons and all of a sudden now he's leaving one out of the team. He's having to tell someone they're getting dropped. He's, you know, he's telling somebody they're not getting a new contract. It, it puts a strain on things, and I think Frank struggled with it. And we just couldn't, we just couldn't get a win for him. Yeah, we just couldn't get a result. And you know, when he when he resigned, I think he was a proud guy, and and I think the fans hadn't turned on him. The fans were still with Frank because they, yeah. they loved him for what he was as a footballer. But you know what football's like. It wouldn't have been too much longer before. It started to change their opinion of Frank, yeah. and I think fair play to him um, to 
you know, probably make that decision to step yeah. down before things became, you know, irretrievable. Because yeah. uh, he's a proud guy, and you can't deny he was a he was a top player and a top man, and it just didn't work out. It's probably the right job at the wrong time. He maybe needed to go away somewhere, do some coaching, and then come back. Yeah, potentially. He's just, yeah, he was just sort of thrown in, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, I never worked out. But then you go down to Newcastle. I mean. A team that were flying at that point. They had the legendary Sir Bobby was in charge. They were in the Champions League and what have you. Um, that was a cracking move. It must have been for you, Tony. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, you know, I've had, like I say, the Charlton move was like out of the blue one. Um, you know, when Hibs were talking about players leaving because of the TV deals and the yeah. finance, the financial states and the, what they had coming in from what they were prepared to pay out. So it was. And it wasn't like I was on big big money at Hibs, you know, compared to a lot of players on a lot more money than me, but it was a case of they were looking at all parts of the squad and, you know, I wasn't playing regular, so they probably looked and thought, you know what, that's one we can do without, you know. So, you know, I I had, um, again, I still had Ken as my agent, right? So I'm on to Ken, look, Ken, this is the state of play, you know, I'm, I'm looking to move. I don't know where to. I'm, I'm totally open to anything. I'm, I'm quite open to going either there or anywhere. As long as I have a... And it was never about, I need to go as a number one. It was always, look, as long as I have a fair crack at trying to play, I'll be the number one. Like I did at Hibs. You know, I got my opportunity. Um, as long as I get that, I said, um, I'm all right with that. Yeah. So you're not saying he has to be number one. You can be saying, look, if, you have to, if I have to go in as number two initially, and force me way in. I'm prepared to do that. You know, I've got enough belief in myself to do that. So, um, and then I just got a call. It was like Newcastle. Um, they were in the Champions League, and they'd had a young goalkeeper, Adam Collin, who I ended up coaching at Carlisle many yeah. years later. Big Adam, and Big Adam was a young goalkeeper in Newcastle. And what had happened was they'd gone away to play. I'm going to say it's either Juventus or Inter Milan. And the night before, they were training in the stadium at the San Siro or Delhi Alpi, what it is, they were training at the stadium. And they were doing some games and they'd noticed with Adam, who was probably 17 or 18, it was just a bit much for him yeah. in the stadium. It, you know, it wasn't a game, it was but you know, the whole thing of the Champions League and it was just a bit much for the kid. Yeah. And they've just thought, oh, hang on, you know, we've got Shea, we've got Harps. Um, yeah, John Carell's a big Dutch goalkeeper. Yeah. But, but Bobby didn't rate John. He didn't want him at the club. You know, Rude Huller, he was Rude Huller's last signing, basically. Yeah. And then, before Bobby got the job, so it was like, we need another senior goalkeeper to be in the mix. Uh, you know, I need to know that I've got one I can call upon. You know, now we're fighting on Premiership, Champions League, all the rest of it. So, um, I got the call. Would a fancy going down and training for a couple of days? Um, and the goalkeeping coach at Newcastle, is Simon Smith, and he was there then. He's back. He's, still, he's back there now with the with the new manager, with uh, Steve Bruce. And Simon had been my goalkeeping coach when I was 21, 22, 23 at Carlisle. Yeah, he used to come in and do some part-time coaching for Mervyn Day when he was manager. He was friends yeah. with Merv. So Simon was the connection. Simon had said, "Look," and Simon had been up to watch me. He, Simon used to like travelling up to Scotland. Um, in the off-season and the English season had finished in the summer and we still played on for a couple of weeks in Scotland. So he, he came up to Scotland for a week and he come and watch me play twice just by, he said, I might as well tie it in. I'm up for a week. 
Yeah. He said, I'll come and watch you up at St. Johnston and we were somewhere else. I think we were at home one game and away the next. He says, so I'll come to Easter Road and then I'll come and watch you next week in Perth. We're staying up for the week. He used to go walking and things like that. So he straight away from me, he says, look, you know, I've seen you play. I know what you're about. He said, I told Bobby, he said, you might get a call. Right? All right, I'm thinking, what? No chance. Yeah. And then, <laughs> there you go, phone goes. Do you want to come in and train for a couple of days? So I had to go in and say to Bobby Williamson, Gaffer, I want me down for training for a couple of days. He says, as long as you're back for the weekend, because we had Aberdeen away on the, on the Saturday. Yeah. He said, as long as you're back, back up here for Friday and you can travel, you know, to be in the squad Saturday, I'm all right with that. So I went down, I trained, um, trained three days in the end. At the end of the three days, Simon, Simon was like, yeah, you've done well. Bobby was like, yeah, you know, thanks for coming down. You've done great. Thanks very much. And I never heard another thing. This was, I think this was in November. So yeah. I'm thinking this is dead, dead in the water. I'm done. It's not happening. Um, I heard a thing. So we get to Christmas. Um, Mick Colgan got sent off. I played a couple of games. I come on against Bardic. We drew. Then I played against Aberdeen. We beat them 2-0. But then Nick comes straight back into the team. So I kind of know where I'm at at this point. You know, if you come into the team and you keep the clean sheet and you're straight back out, you know what's happening. Yeah. So, um, so the January's going along and I'm thinking, right, nothing's happening. I've got nothing happening. This is the January. This is when the transfer windows were, were in now, the January window. And um, I'm at um, Edinburgh Playhouse with my kids watching Ben in the Big Blue House. And, and then... I've, the phone goes and it's like seven o'clock and right, you need to get down to the ground. Why? Newcastle's coming for you. They need it done tonight because <laughs> they need you for the weekend. They need you in the squad for Arsenal at the weekend. I'm like what? So I'm like picking the kids up. We're off and it's just got started. The kids are screaming. So I'm like, <laughs> so, come on, we're going. So I feel terrible. Like I'm in the car, get all left. What are you doing back? I'm like. I'm going to Newcastle. What? So that was it. I went straight down to Easter Road. The paperwork was through. Met Rod Petrie. Um, got it all boxed off. Um, basically packed the car up with a few bits and then just bombed down the A1. Wow. And that was it. And then we played Arsenal on the... So this was the Thursday. I can't remember. It was a Thursday night. So I bombed down on the Friday. So I didn't train on the Friday. Yeah. I, got the, I trained on the Saturday. I mean, and then we've got Arsenal at home the next day, and I was on the bench against Arsenal. And we drew one each. We drew one each with Arsenal on the Sunday, um, and Lorna, I think Lorna Bob got sent off. I think Lorna yeah. Bob got sent off in the game, and um, Alan Shearer was up front on his own against Martin Keown and Saul Campbell. And yeah. It was the best battle I'd ever seen in football. It was amazing. Just watching it, you know, and yeah. like and being around, just being around it, you know, St James's Park, fifty-two thousand full fighting for Champions League and I'm like what this is you know like two days ago I'm sat watching Ben the big blue house not thinking <laughs> thinking where's my next move where's my next club am I going to get a move it looks like I'm going to have to wait till the summer when my contract runs out and, and there you are you're there it's, it's crazy football at times how it works yeah, it's, it's yeah. nuts, isn't it? It's absolutely madness. Um, so Bobby then, uh, I mean, what a character he, he, he was uh, I've, had, I've had guys that have worked under him and he says the most, most generous guy that they've ever met he's but how did you find him? Yeah, I thought Bobby was great. I think um, one of the things that struck me was that he would come and talk to you and would be genuinely interested yeah. in what you were talking So he would ask about your family. 
Yeah. You know, he would ask, you know, once he got to know you and you knew you were married and you had kids or things like that, he would be genuinely, how's things going? Uh, you know, and it was a totally different way of doing things than I'd ever seen, yeah. if I'm being honest. I don't think I've ever seen it since. Yeah, as well. Um, how a guy could command that much respect um, in a room by just being in the room yeah. and not really doing anything. It, it's, it, I mean, Graham Sooners had some of that, I must say. He had this yeah. aura, this presence. But, but Bobby would, um, I remember the we signed quite a lot of foreign players and younger foreign players. So, you know, it's a big move for them. I think people have to appreciate, you know, when a, a club might pay millions of pounds for a player. But he's 20-year-old or 21-year-old and he's, he's moving from Spain, Portugal, wherever it may, France, and he's moving to Newcastle. And he can't speak great English and Bobby would appreciate these things. So yeah. the families would come over and, like, it wouldn't be done now, but we had a training ground and we had, like, a nice kind of cafe area, food area. And he would invite the families. So he'd be like, Hugo Viana, I remember Hugo came in at 19 from Portugal, yeah. paid a lot of money for Hugo. Yeah. Uh, European football of the year, young European football of the year. Hugo comes in, his family were over, his mum and dad, and where's your mum and dad? Oh, they're in the cap. Get them in here. Get them in here. So they're in and they're sitting at the they're sitting at the staff table with the gaffer and all the staff having having the dinner and he's chatting away at them and he's he can speak a bit of you know Portuguese and he's speaking you know and like that's when you could see what he was about and he would work his way around the room and he throughout the week he wouldn't miss anyone out. Yeah. What one day he would be at your table, so you'd be sat there. So if it was me and two or three of the players, he'd end up being at your at your table at one time in the week and just having a general chat. So he got that feeling; he was interested, and he he had he had a thing where when we finished training, and now a lot of players. I mean, I know like you might have gym sessions and afternoon sessions, but yeah. if you have a single session, what you find is players come and have the food, and then they eat the food as quick as they can, and then they're in the car and they're away. Yeah. Now, Bobby would have Bobby had a rule: no one was allowed to leave till Bobby had finished eating. Yeah. So if we were in eating and Bobby came in last, he had to wait. <laughs> Bobby could take forever. By the way, you know he'd have his soup and his roll, and he'd have a little bit of salad, and then he'd go and get a bit of this, and then a bit of that, and and then. But you weren't allowed to leave till he stood up and addressed the group. So we'd address yeah. the group after every session, and sometimes it just might be. Train great today, fellas. See you in the morning. Yeah. But sometimes it would be big game coming up. Rest the legs. Don't use at the metro centre. <laughs> Don't want no one around the metro centre, right? And it would be like, you know, if she wants to go shopping, let her go shopping. You don't have to go with her, right? And it was, it just, it'd be stuff like that. It was just common sense stuff. Yeah. But it was just really like him just letting you know he's got your best interests at heart. And, you know, you're at the club because he wanted you at the club. Um, and there was that a real good feel-good factor and, a, and a, a real togetherness. And he had a difficult group to handle as well. There were some lads in that changing room who were, you know, they were in the papers for the wrong reasons a lot. So, yeah. you know, it was hard. It was yeah, so there are some big characters there, like you say. I mean, Shearer, you mentioned there what, what, what a player he was. But the likes of Michael Owen came in, didn't he? And had... I think Clive was there, Craig Bellamy was there for, for a time as well, so yeah. some big names you had to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Patrick came in, um, it was like, it was, Shane and Bellamy was the, the front two, and Bobby Bobby liked the 4-2, four, four so they were his main two, but then when the management changed and Sernus came in, Graham Sernus came in, yeah. um, 
chart, he, he started to shift it around. And I remember Craig Bellamy come to Celtic, and you know, he'd had a bit of a fallout with the manager, so he come to Celtic. So they brought in Michael Owen, and then he brought in Clavert. Clavert was an unbelievable player. Yeah. Um, he was probably just, he came to Newcastle probably at a stage, he was only 28, 29, you know, when he came. Yeah, but he'd done, it, he'd done everything. He'd been everywhere at that young age, wasn't he? Yeah, he'd done everything by his mid-20s. And yeah. all of a sudden, we're bringing in this player from Barcelona. And, um, you know, and I, because I looked at Patrick Clava, and, you know, you looked at his record, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he played for Holland for about two years, but his record was 40 goals in 70 games <laughs> for Holland. And he hadn't kicked the ball for them for two years. Yeah. And you're thinking, what, they must have some strikers. Holland, by the way, if you know, but you think they had Van Nistelrooy's and people like that, you know, at the time. yeah. And so you, you you looked at it and went, wow. When he came in, he's technically he was unbelievable. Shearer was the best centre forward I've ever seen. Yeah, he was. He just his hold up play, his um, his aggressiveness in the box, but his finishing, like no one I've never seen anyone hit a ball as hard or volley a ball as hard. Yeah. I mean, literally ridiculous the amount of power he could generate. Yeah. Um, you do, we used to do tons of crossing and finishing, and, and then he'd try and he'd aim for you, <laughs> keepers. He'd actually aim for you from six, seven, eight yards out, and he'd hope you blocked it. And if it came back to him, he'd aim for you again from three <laughs> yards, you know. He was like, that's what he was like. And then he'd be like, yes, and like, <laughs> Shea, him and Shea were close and half, so they'd be biting, Harps and Shea would be biting like you wouldn't believe, you know, yeah. in all the finishing. Because it was just, but that that was what it was like. It was a real, um, a real good spirit. But uh, it was probably the most, not the best way to say. The, the group that wanted to achieve the most, yeah. they really felt they could achieve and and get in amongst Man Uniteds and your Arsenal's and things like that. Yeah. And, and they weren't too far away in the end, to be honest. Yeah. Were you were you in the the ground when um, uh, Lee Boyer and Kim Dyer yes, had so this chat? Yeah. What were was all that about? Yeah, I was there. Oh, I mean, I mean, there's nothing between them. They, you know, they get on. Yeah. Good guys, you know, that they, 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 they got on in the dressing room from what I could see and yeah. never been any issues. I just think it was, you know, they were playing Villa, playing Villa at home. I think it was two or three nil. I think it was just after the goal. Yeah. And they had a complete misunderstanding or a different wavelength of what should have happened with a pass or whatever. And it ended up becoming blown out of all proportion and next thing they got each other by the throat and it's like and I mean I could say you know Bo was a fiery character Lee Boyer was a fiery, fiery character um, but in the right way you know he, he channeled it well he was an aggressive player that's how he played he always he played on the line you know he teetered on that line yeah. which a lot of a lot of players do most of the time he's on the right side of it but now and again it tipped over um, and it, it was just a, the red mist came down the red mist just came down, but in the worst place ever, 52,000, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there's no hiding place. And, and, you know, everyone thought it was staged afterwards. Can remember, I can remember the gaffers, Graham Sinus, has got them together in front of the press to kind of shake hands yeah. and all this, because it was obviously big news. And it was, it was quite funny and laughable, actually, because <laughs> literally from the next day, they were just getting wound up about it. Yeah. You know, the lads were just winding them up and the, the manager had to do all that and he knew there wasn't an issue between them. Yeah. There was no issues. There was no underlying, like, problems that we didn't know about. It was just a case of... It could have been any two players at that point. Yeah. Lee Boyer could have went for anyone at that point. Yeah. It just happened to be Kieran 
Kane didn't give him the ball back and he just lost the plot, you know. It was like <laughs> did, you, did you ever get involved in any sort of bust ups like that, Tony, during a, during a game um, of in the dressing room? Excuse me. I think you know, you get involved in arguments. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll have you'll have heated arguments and, and debates on something's happened on a goal or something's gone on and um, but yeah, you know, we've I've, I don't, I've never come to I've never come to blows. I've never come to blows with anyone, but I can honestly say we've I've been in we've been in each other's faces about things. Yeah, you know, with different players. Um, you know, I've had massive arguments with managers as well at different times. Yeah. Um, but for the right reasons, it was you know it wasn't personal. You know, it was never personal for about anything other than something that's happened you know for the benefit you know for the good of the team the good of the game or for us personally as a group um you know i could get a bit fiery and that you know at different games i've had a go with managers or things have gone on where they've said things about certain things and i've took it the wrong way and said something back and before you know it it escalates but that was going on a lot with a lot of players you know yeah. i mean i mean a member of blackpool we were nigel worthington was manager and and you know, we'd lost against City 3 0, and the Ned come down to League One. And he's come in and he's, he's he's gone through a few players about the performance, and a couple of senior players have chipped back. And before you know it, like everyone's up in the middle, it's gone, it's got it's kicking off. And Mick Hennigan's there, Mick's the assistant manager, Mick's about 70 odd year old, and Mick, Mick's in the middle of it, like, oh, you like, next thing Mick's lying on, Mick's lying in a heap in all the kit, and like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can, I can just, I can just remember like looking and thinking, this is mayhem. You know, if people on the outside could really see what was going on, you know, because a lot of things get um, labelled the players, and I know it's different now because they have to act differently because they don't, they're under a microscope now constantly. They are, aren't they? Like, you know, when you think about it, yeah. they can't say anything or do anything without someone casting a judgment on them. Aye. So it would be really difficult to play now. For compared to back then, because back then you could say things, you could, you know, and it wouldn't get out. It wouldn't be on social media. It wouldn't be, you know, you could have a bus in the change room with a teammate, and half an hour later it, it wouldn't be on Twitter. Yeah. But now it's on Twitter. The yeah. rumours coming out of here that this has happened and that's happened, and so it's it's a totally different landscape now for players. Yeah. But back then you could. So I think it's tough for players now. I really do because everyone has an opinion. And everyone thinks their opinion counts. Yeah. And and not all of them do, if you know what I mean. And, but it's hard for players to know we to, to select the ones that, that count and the ones that don't. Yeah. I always say to players, whose is the most important opinion at the football club? The managers. Yeah. That is it. You know what? Fans will have a pop. Fans will think you're not great or whatever. You've had a bad game or whatever. That's fine. That's a part of the game. But the fans don't pick the team. Yeah. The manager picks the team. Exactly. Now, if the fans are always on your case, eventually it's going to affect your confidence, and then you're going to you're not going to be playing at your best. So then you probably will lose your place. But it's like you have to be strong enough mentally to block all out the noise, and just play your game, and yeah. think about why you're in the team. And I think it gets more it's more difficult now because young lads are all over social media. They live their lives and judge their lives and how many followers they've got. Yeah, that's a nonsense. Which is crazy. Yeah. When you really think about it, you know. But it's just the way of the world and the way it is. And 
you've just got to help these lads and try and find the right path for them, the best yeah. way for them. That's a minefield out there. Um, see, as a goal, uh, as a goalie, Tony, uh, is, is it hard when you're not playing and um, to sort of g yourself up every week, like at Newcastle, when um, you weren't you weren't playing at the time? Was that was that difficult mentally? It to is. It, it was tough. Um, you, you go through um, you go through peaks and troughs with it. You'll go through periods where um, you know I had little spells on the bench. I had a short spell out on loan at Barnsley. So you get the, these little bits of these little things that help you along the way. Um, but the, a lot of the time, you're training knowing you're not going to be involved. Yeah. So to keep your standards up and keep your levels up can be difficult at times. Yeah. But then when you go and join in, when you're doing your goalkeeping work in your, in your group with the goalkeepers and the court, goalkeeping coach, you try to keep your standards there and you try and look at, you know, I was working with Shea Given every day, which is obviously something Top I was very conscious of that I can learn from this yeah. as a goalkeeper and also for when I go into the coaching route which is what I always felt like I would do you know if I got the opportunity and I would look at it from that point of view and try and work as hard as I could that was something I did and, and, and I know you know a lot of players will go well you know you know I worked hard but I knew I did I worked hard I had to work for everything I got it wasn't a case of Everything came natural, naturally to me because it never. Yeah. I had to be on top of things, so that's why I think I played as long as I did, because yeah. managers kind of knew if I wasn't playing, he knew he could trust me to work hard and push whoever was playing, yeah. and make sure that they stay at a good level, and 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 also be positive. That was a thing I I, I learned to do. It's become a thing now of having this older number three goalkeeper at the big clubs to, to yeah. be this experienced guy around these younger goalies to mentor them. Now, I, it's funny, I was speaking to Simon Smith about that. I says, well, did you consciously look to try and bring me in as that experienced one? He says, not really, but it worked out that way. It worked out that you were quite kind of a positive influence. And yeah, we had the younger goalkeepers who would come up and train with us sometimes. We had um, Tim Krill come yeah. in. Um, and we had like Adam Collin and we had Adam Bartlett. So we had a group of young professionals who were at the academy. And they would come across and train with us sometimes in our goalkeeping group. So imagine when you're 17, 18, 19, coming across the academy and you walk from the academy building over the pitches and you come through this gate and now you're in the first team area. And they're walking across the pitches and they can just see like Alan Shearers and all these players. And then they're walking across and there's Shea and there's Steve Harper. And I was the friendly face, I think. I was the one that would like, you know, get involved with them a wee bit. Harps would to a point. Shea would to a point. But Shea used to just boom, mind on it. I'm training. You know, yeah. I've got to get myself right. So I would be that little buffer. So that helped the goalkeeping coach, really. Yeah. Because, you know, I would be the one that, you know, I would I would maybe give advice to or I'd be in the middle of a session and talk about something and make them feel at ease because it's quite daunting for them. Yeah. Quite daunting. Um, and I quite enjoyed that role. Um, without even knowing I was doing it. Yeah. It's only when I when I come to leave Newcastle and I went over to Vancouver and I got a player coach opportunity, it was like, yeah, I'm meant to do this. I feel like I should coach. It's yeah. something I want to do. Whether I'm any good at it, I don't know. It's for the people to judge. <laughs> but I feel I feel like it's some I enjoy doing it. I enjoy trying to help. Yeah. And I think it helps when your own career has been big ups and big downs. And and periods of 
long periods of playing and long periods of inactivity of not playing. Yeah. See, what people think is, oh, they're just there picking the money up. You're not. You're doing everything that everyone else does. You just don't have that release of getting that game, which is yeah. the worst bit. It's the worst part of the week is watching other people play and you can't. Yeah. So that, that, was, that was a part of my thought process is to keep myself going, try and take something out of each and every day that I could that's going to help me later on. And, and, and I try to do that. I mean, some days, obviously, you're just like, this is it's a tough day to day. But, like you know, but unlike anyone in any job, yeah. you know, you can't, it can't always be rosy, can it? So it, it's, um, it comes from within that. And it yeah. comes from your own character and your own personality. And, and it's up to you how you put yourself across. Yeah. If you want to be down, you can be down. But if you want to put yourself out there and be up a bit and be a part of the group, do that, do that, and you'll feel better about yourself. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Before we touch on your, your time in the States, uh, Tony, the one player that was at Newcastle, was a tragedy what happened to him, uh, Gary Speed. What, what, what was he like as, as a teammate back then? I Speed always... Um, I think he was that top senior player that the lads look up to. Yeah. He, he would be the younger ones in the group. Um, knew he was there for um, sounding board, um, yeah. for advice. Um, he was the only player um, in my time there that I actually could see handle Craig Bellamy. <laughs> and yeah, you know, Bellas was a strong character, you know, a strong personality. Did his own thing. And he had absolute 100% belief in how good he was. Yeah. Right? And and that's what probably got Craig Bellamy to the top. Um, so you can't knock that. And he was a fantastic professional, Craig. But sometimes the things he'd say to people and to players, it was, it was close to the bone, you know. And you, and Speedo, if he was there, he'd be the one that would rein him in. And he had total respect for Gary Speed. So if Speedo was like, oh, quiet, Bellas was quiet, but he was the only person that I've seen speak to him and he would listen to him. Yeah. So that was the effect he had on people's feet. Or, you know, he was an unbelievably fit player. He made the most of everything he had. He was a good footballer. He was always fit. He was always available. He was always positive. Um, he wasn't always um, appreciated by yeah. fans. You know, he wasn't always appreciated. But he was one of those players, you know, when he wasn't in the team, you, you noticed. He, he used yeah. to put in those yards that other people didn't want to put in, yeah. you know. Um, he was that kind of player. He was for the team. Everything was about the team and getting a result. So, you know, and what happened to him is unbelievable. Yeah. Still, just never, just didn't see that coming. Nah, you just, you just don't know what's going behind closed doors, don't you? It's just, exactly, it's, you, don't you don't know. Um, your, your time, you your, Two spells in the States, sandwiched between uh, a time at Gretna, which, which we'll touch on. How, did, how much did you enjoy your time over there? Um, it was a completely different sort of footballing landscape out there, didn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, Vancouver, um, it, came, it came around through David Edgar, who played at Newcastle. Yeah. Um, his dad his dad was, he's, he's from the North East, near Newcastle, but he was out in Canada. And, and Eddie was playing for Canada. And he said to me, his dad came over and watched a couple of games over in Newcastle and he in a couple of reserve game and I was playing and his his lad was playing, David. So after the game, his and his Eddie's dad used to be a goalkeeper back in the day, just you know, like semi pro football in the northeast. So yeah. 
he was chatting to me after the game. He said, have you ever thought about Canada, America, playing? I said, I'll be honest. I said, I've always had a, I'd always thought I'd used to play in another country, but it's just never materialised, um, never appeared in front of me. And he says, well, did you fancy it? I went, yeah, yeah. So he said, look, well, David's coming back to join up with the Canadian national squad in a couple of weeks. So this was the days before, like, Y Scout and all this. So it was like, can you get any games on DVD? So I said, I've got a few of my games on DVD. Give them to Eddie. He packs them in his bag and flies to Canada. Gives them to his dad. And his dad gives them to this guy called Barry McLean, who was an agent out there. Yeah. So I get a call of Barry out of the blue. And by this time, I've left. I'm not with Ken anymore. I'm in agreement with Ken's run out. So Barry says, um, I believe you'd fancy North America. I says, um, I could do. He says, well, look, Vancouver Whitecaps was first choice goalkeepers just left. Um, there could be an opening. Do you want me to put it into them? I said, no problem. See what happens. So I get a call. Do you fancy coming out? Train for a few days. So I flew to Vancouver. Train for a few days. Um, and they offered me a two-year contract. Um, and this is a summer season. So basically I had to, as soon as the last game of the season finished Newcastle on the Sunday, the 5th of May, I flew to Vancouver on the 6th um, and played on the weekend. My first game, it was just like that. It did two years and um, totally different experience. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd go and do it and just see what it's all about. I, I just got with a completely open mind, um, and I just thought, you know what, I might not get another chance. I was 32, 33. I thought yeah. it's the right time, and I went and I fully enjoyed it. I loved it. The, the, the only reason we came back, Wendy's parents were well. But at the same time, and we we had, we came back, and you know, I think we were just getting to that point of eighteen months out there, two years. That if it'd gone longer, we'd have probably stayed. Yeah. And I would, you know, I was enjoying my football, and I was starting to coach as well. So I was, I was starting to learn as well how to coach, you know, because what you think coaching is, and when you actually start doing it, it's two totally different things. Yeah, you know, it's it, it, the things you have to think about. Um, so it was it was a really good grounding for me, but I was still playing as well. Which and traveling, I mean, it, it, some of the traveling was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we had we Puerto Rico in our league, right? <laughs> so you can imagine you look at the map; it doesn't look that far, but I assure you, it's a long way. It's like <laughs> we used to have two connections. I think we fly through Chicago and then we fly through Miami, and then it was like nine, eight or nine hours, maybe ten hours of flying. I've a friend that lives down in, in, in Texas, Wade. He, he coaches a team yeah. and he says the nearest team is like four hours away. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, we only had, we had, um, no, we had two bus journeys. We had um, Seattle, yeah. which is obviously like two and a half, three hours over the border. And then we play Seattle on the Friday night. And then straight after the game, we drive to Portland. Yeah. And then we get to Portland at like five in the four or five in the morning, stay there. And then we'd have a day there in Portland where we'd maybe do light training and then play them the next day. Yeah, and then travel back to Vancouver. So they were the only two bus trips. Toronto were in the league, and that was a seven-hour flight from Vancouver wow. for another Canadian game. Um, but how we did it, it was different because it was the USL. It wasn't the MLS, so it was um, the the away games, the, the cluster them. Yeah. So you'd have like a road trip. So you'd do three games on the road. So you'd go, we'd play Toronto, Montreal, and then Rochester. So we'd go fly to Toronto, play them, um, either bus it or fly to Montreal, play them, and then we'd bus it back down and we'd go through Niagara Falls <laughs> on the bus, 
got through Niagara. So I got to see Niagara Falls from the bus because the, the bus broke down at Niagara. So <laughs> we sat there for about three hours. So we go through Niagara Falls, then into Rochester, which is in New York State, then play them. And then the next day we'd fly from Rochester yeah. back to Vancouver. So the amount of travelling. I mean, if you said to the lads here, you know, they'll have a whinge up about having a bus journey for three hours. I'm like, seriously, lads. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, Carlisle, I used to have six, seven hours, eight hours on the bus for away yeah. games. I said, we play for Vancouver. You know, you have to give yourself two days yeah. to get to get to an away game. It's crazy. It's, it's madness. Yeah. And they're different time zones and all that as well. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Um, see, when you, was it Houston you played, uh, was it, did you play Beckham when you was at LA Galaxy? Yes. Um, he was at LA, um, we drew two each, and Landon Donovan, he set both goals up actually. Best mm-hmm. two crosses, Landon Donovan, two goals. To uh, t- typical Beckham, whip it, and he's Landon Donovan, mm-hmm. first time finishes. Um, yeah, he was, I mean, there was the only thing then of Beckham raising the profile of the league and, you know, getting it on the map. And, you know, a lot of people question everything, but. You know, for me, he did put it on the map because people started talking about the MLS just because Beckham's there. And even when he wasn't fit, they used to take him to games. So um, I remember when we played them at home, Beckham wasn't fit, but he flew flew in anyway and basically just walked on the pitch (laughs) and waves to the fans. So we've got a full house. You've got 30,000 in. You haven't got 30,000 if Beckham's not there, have you? You know, so the league were clever. They knew what they were doing. I know they were paying him mega money, but um, the league were clever what they were doing and they were raising the profile. And it opened the it, it did open the doors for other top players to come yeah. to the league. Absolutely. And, and it really has opened it. Now, yes, it's still not got to the point where players are coming to play there in the late 20s at the peak. They're coming there and they're still going out there in the early 30s. But I think the finding is the league now is a lot stronger. Yeah. It's a lot more organised. It's a lot more professional. They've all they've got training grounds. They've got the academies. So there is a real infrastructure there now. Yeah, um, it's took it's took a long time because it will never compete with the American sports, you know. Yeah. But it but it is now news. It was never news initially. Now it is a part of the sports news. It is, a, you know, it is in the culture. So it's getting there. It's getting there. You came back then. You joined Gretna at the time. I mean, it's one of the most Bonkers stories, I think, the Scottish fo- football, the way they came up the leagues, and then obviously they, 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 they uh, made into the Premier League when you joined them. Um, what was that like as an experience, Tony? Um, um, it was a bit of a bit of a car crash oh, behind the scenes, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was bizarre. You know, I, I you know, Mick, Mick had, like I said, Mick Wadsworth was director of football, and he brought me in, and um, so I went in as player coach, but yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't sign because my, my registration. And the contract hadn't run out with Vancouver, so I missed the deadline. So I had to wait until that ran out. And then I actually played, I think I played maybe 10, 10 11 games for Gretna, possibly 10 games. And, um, but I played all those as an amateur. Yeah. So I wasn't actually on a professional contract. So I was playing as an amateur because I couldn't sign professional till the January window opened. So, you know, <laughs> that was quite bizarre. Um, I was coaching and training for a few months before I could play in like October, which was hard going. But I could I could gradually see what was happening as time went by because it all just happened too quickly for the club. 
Yeah. It was just, there was no infrastructure. Obviously, it's become quite evident and since that it was Brooks's money, Brooks Milson's money that was um, bankrolling the club and keeping the club afloat. And um, it, it, the club could never be self-sufficient because they don't have the fan base. They don't have the stadium. Um, it was just too much too soon. Um, and it was quite, it was sad. You know, I, I was due to sign. I, my contract was there to sign. And literally that week, for some reason, the players got paid weekly. And I, I never understood that. Because, you know, every club would be a monthly payment, like any, you know, another walk of life. And so yeah. it was weekly. And I thought, it's a lot of hassle to play players weekly. I just didn't, I didn't understand it. And I didn't get it. And then one week, the players never got paid. And I was due to sign. So I thought, I'm just going to hold off and see what happens here because if I sign it, I'm tied into it, but I'm not getting paid. Yeah. And and then I can't go anywhere else. So I needed to wait and see. So in the following, there was a big meeting and the lads were all complaining, where's my wages? And, and it was like, well, you get paid next week. So it never happened. Another yeah. week and another week. So then it was like the alarm bells were ringing and uh, I just thought to myself, I don't think this is going to get any better. I don't see. I don't see where this is going. And then I could see players starting to work an angle out of there, yeah. somewhere else. So I was like, right, you know, you've got to be careful here. And I just, it was a shame because they'd had so much success, and it was such a story. Yeah. But when you and you got there, I mean, we were playing at Motherwell, and some games there's only like eight hundred at the game. <laughs> you know, and you're like. And I don't know how, I mean, and then I heard the rumours, but, you know, I think they were paying 10 or 15 grand a Motherwell per game to, to rent the stadium. And I was thinking, hey, Brooks is obviously covering this. Yeah. And it can only last for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was a big squad, a big squad, a lot of well-paid players in the squad. Yeah. Um, and some of the players probably didn't want to be there. Yeah. And it, it, it shone through. It shone through, to be honest. And it was it was difficult because it was difficult for the ones that really wanted to be there. Yeah. And the, there wasn't that harmony and there wasn't the help. It was always going to be a struggle of a season. You're always going to be fighting at the wrong end of the table. But if you stick together, you just never know. But it was it just was never going to happen. You could, you could sense it and feel it. And uh, it was a shame. I felt for Brooks. I felt for Mick Wadsworth. I felt for Davey Irons. Yeah. You know, Kenny Crichton, the physio, I felt for all these people because I've joined the journey late. You know, I'm, I've come in late and they've been on it all the way through and all of a sudden, I mean, imagine it all being so, so good and then it ends like that. I was like, this isn't good, you know, and I felt it was it was awful and then, you know, and then Brooks, you know, all his money had gone and the club then dissolved and I was thinking, shoot, it can't end like this, but it did and it's a shame. It really is a big shame. Like, yeah. Yeah, it certainly was a sad end. Um, you'd obviously then go back to America and then come back. Uh, you went to, to Workington. and when, when was it that you sort of decided that to go into the coaching more on a full-time basis, Tony? Yeah, it was probably around that time. I'd, I'd, I got a couple of offers to go to be like cover in like League Two in England. Um, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, right, you know, I'm going to be sitting in the car up and down the motorway up in the M6. You know, we'd move back to the Carlisle area, and I just thought, do I, do I want to move? Do I want to be doing all the motorway miles and 
you know, not getting a game, and and it was it, it was just all in my mind. And I think it comes to every every player at some point. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? If I get a, I want a coach. I've been in some coaching at Vancouver. I'd done some bits in America with youth football as well, and I was at Houston, so I'd, I'd had a taste of coaching. And then um, the goalkeeping coach at Carlisle left Dave Timmins. Yeah. Um, the goalkeeping coach role was open at Carlisle, and obviously with my history there. Um, but everything had changed at the club in terms of the management and the people in the club. There were still the same board members. They were still the same people yeah. that were involved, but in the footballing aspect, I, I yeah, didn't have any relationships. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so with Greg Abbott. So Greg got me in. Um, Dan and Edmondson was manager at Workington. He'd been my teammate at Carlisle. Yeah. So Dan says, look, come and play for us. He said, and I got the, and he basically said, I speak to Greg all the time. He said, look, we'll work this. You can go into Carlisle and coach the goalies. Join in the training. We'll play for me on a Saturday. So that's what I did. Um, and I did that for a season. And I fully enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it at working. So we had a good season. We had a good run in the trophy. And we've got the playoffs. Um, you know, and from a personal point of view, it was good. You know, I got player of the year and things like that. I mean... And I'd never imagined I'd ever play for Workington. You know, and that's the most local club to where I'm from, yeah. in West Cumbria. Um, and it, I really enjoyed it. I really did enjoy playing. And I would have played there again for another year, but um, Carlisle then would want me in as a player coach. So they brought me back into the league. And that was their way of getting me in full-time, was I could combine you know, being as being cover, but also being the goalie coach. So that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you go back to Wembley. You did win the uh, the EFL trophy again. You'd be on the bench that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we would be beat uh, beat Brentford. Yeah, um, and you know we won that one nil. And I'd I'd been um, on the bench all season, and Adam Collin was playing and doing yeah. really well. Um, but we had a really good young goalkeeper coming through, Mark Gillespie, and Mark. Um, we got we played at Wembley and then we had Norwich the last game of the season. Norwich had won the league, yeah. So full house at Carroll Road. So I I said to Greg, look, I'm done in terms of the playing. Yeah. Let's get Mark on the bench because that's going to be what we're doing next year going forward. So we put Mark on the bench and then like 15 minutes to go, it's like Do you fancy going on, Mark. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on his 18. He's shaking like a leaf. So we beat we beat Norwich two 0 I think they were hung over to be honest. They've been on the video all week, I think, having won the league. So um Mark goes on and he did all right for fifteen minutes and then so he was absolutely buzzing and I thought, right. And actually seeing him buzzing off that, I was yeah. sat there and I, I had a feeling of I actually felt really pleased for him. Yeah. The young lad. I, I wasn't bothered in the slightest, it wasn't me, so to speak. Right. So I thought and that's when you know I'm a coach now. My time's done. I've had my time, so I was fortunate. I, I got the I got the chance to call time on it and make the transition. Um, and it was, and then it was only afterwards I found because I'd been the youngest goalkeeper to ever play for Carlisle till that day. Oh. I didn't realise when I chucked we chucked Mark on. He beat took my record off me, so he went <laughs> on. <laughs> so it might have been different if I'd known. It was only afterwards, you know, the media guy comes up and says, "Do you really realise you just brought your hand away?" What? Ah, <laughs> right, cheers for that. So no, and you know, Mark's Mark's gone on and done well for himself. You know, he did great yeah. for Motherwell, and uh, got himself a good move to Newcastle. So yeah, yeah. 
you coach um, young uh, Dean Henderson to just be a wee boy back then. Was that, was that yeah. did you notice back then he'd be a talent? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I was running some like local just little goalkeeping academies out in West Cumbria, one in Carlisle, and I was just kind of doing even once a week sessions. And um, Ben Benson, who was our academy goalkeeping coach, who's now Blackburn's first team goalie coach. Yeah. So Ben. Ben was from out West Cumbria like me. So I'm living in Carlisle. Ben's based down in West Cumbria. And he says, I've seen this kid. So he says, I'm going to get him along to our thing on Sunday. I says, all right. So he says, have a look, see what you think. And like, honestly, 20 minutes, I'm like, wow. Oh, Seriously. Really? He was like, he was like, a, what's the best way to describe it? It's like watching a premiership goalie, but he was 11. Oh, you know, like in how he really, moved and what yeah. he did and how he was and, yeah, like I'm gone. It was like a bit like what? Strange. So, right straight away, it was like we need to get him into Carlisle. Like yeah. so, and you know, like you have the politics in football clubs. It's like it's quite strange. So Ben's only a young coach. So Ben's going in straight away, like on the Monday. He's going, you back me up, and I says, hundred percent. He's signing. Yeah. He's, he's coming to us because if he doesn't come to us, someone's going to get him. Yeah. Before we get him, and he's on our doorstep. So I said, so Ben's gone in straight away at the youth and everything, but we've got this kid and they're like, oh, well, look, let's bring him in on the six-week trial, see how he goes. And I just had to get involved then and went, no, there's no trials on this kid. Yeah. Let's just get him in. Let's get him in, get him signed. Yeah. Right. And they were like, oh, no, I said, we know. I said, look, I'm tapped. And Ben was like, honestly, let's just get him signed. Yeah. So he comes in and he wants to sign as well. You know, he wants to sign. So he signs. And he's training, he's doing the two nights a week and then playing on the match days. And we start playing him up a year. So he's playing a year older in his yeah. games. So he got to 13-ish and we were like, um, Newcastle had contacted me and said, could we have him on trial for a week? And we said, no, you've obviously seen him play. Yeah. If you want him, you need to, to act on that. Yeah. So... Um, he was quite clever because he's a Man United fan and his mum and dad, you know, United fans and they're from West Cumbria, but they'd be, so he used to go on Man United soccer schools where you just pay to go for weeks training and stuff. So he's gone on this soccer school and right enough at the end of the week, they're into him like, uh, who do you play for? Well, you know, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, I've just signed for Carlisle. All oh, right. So they look at our fixtures. So Man United's at every game for the next three months. Right. You know, like watching him play. So in the, in the end of, to be fair to United and how they dealt with it, it was brilliant because we had a quite a good relationship with United at that time because yeah. we were getting a lot of young players on loan for the first yeah. team. Um, Brian McClare was head of academy and Brian McClare submitted an offer. Um, and I think, you know, he was 13, but the whole deal was 1.1 million yeah. at 13. And, you know, a fair chunk of that, well, quite a bit of that money now will be Carlisle have got. I think the next ones will be if he hits 10 games or I think if he gets, I don't know if he's had a full England cap yet. I'm not sure. If he gets an England cap, I think he might have. So an England cap, I think it was 10 games and I think 25. And then I think they're on a percentage of a sell-on. Yeah. So if he doesn't quite get in in front of the hair, I mean, he's not going to go for penalties if he leaves. He's going to no. go for big money. Right. So yeah. Carlisle should get a kickback off that. But yeah. that was Ben. You know, I had a small part to play, but I had him training with us in the school holidays and he'd come in and do little bits with the first team goalies yeah. and after training 
he'd be wanting to go in the goal for the first team. So the first team would be taking free kicks and stuff. And Dino's 13 and he's tipping them over the bar. And it was brilliant. So on match days in the warm-ups, he used to be ball boy. Yeah. So I said to him, bring your gloves. Bring your gloves. So he's like, right, all right. So what would happen is when we were doing the passing, uh, the back pass and doing kicking at the end of the warm-up for big Adam Collin, I'd get Dino to get his gloves on and I'd get him on the pitch to go down in the, the opposition half. So Adam would be launching balls and Dino was like 13 and catching them and stuff, you know, and throwing them back on, on the pitch, you know, with the crowd in and that. So, and you just took to it like that. Yeah. You know, he was born to do it. You could just tell. You yeah. could just tell. Um, but he's a multi-sportsman. He was a wicketkeeper at cricket, good at rugby. Um, he was doing like circuit training. We were having to tell him to calm down, you know. You have to, ha- you have to rest at some point. You yeah. know, he was just so determined um, to do well um, that, that you have to rein him in a bit which is which is a good thing which is a good thing and just educate him and you know you see it at United now he's he's ready isn't he you can tell when he's playing he's ready absolutely yeah he's cracking um, you'd leave Kalou you'd have a wee spell at Hartlepool and then um, you were at Berry with, with, with Lee Clark and what have you but again another club that's a bit of a car crash behind the scenes and again it's sad what's, what's <coughs> happened to them did you but what, what was that like as an experience, Tony? Yeah, it was tough because, um, you know, I'd come out of Hartlepool. I'd had, I'd had a, you know, probably four or five months where I hadn't been in full-time in a club and I was building up my own business and yeah. my own coaching things and doing bits of part-time. I was actually doing a little bit of part-time coaching for Adam. I'm an athletic. I was taking the goalies up there a couple of nights a week and I was quite enjoying what I was doing because when you're in full-time, it's full-on, you know, it's like... Yeah. It's flat out all the time, so I was like, it's good to just take a breather. And then Clark, you phones me, do you fancy coming to Berry? So I went and met him and Alan Thompson, and they were on the way down one night. So I went and met them, we had a chat. Um, and I like Clark because I've been at Newcastle with Clark. Yeah. And I knew Tom and Alan because I played against him when he was at Celtic. And so I, I knew Clark better than Tom but I thought, you know what? Two genuine lads, yeah. North East. Know the football. Clark is very. Clark is an experienced manager. I thought they're giving him a good budget. Gonna have a chance. Gonna have a real chance. So, against my better judgment, I took the job because I was still feeling that I'm not sure if I want to be full time. Still had that. It was in the back of my mind, and I just so I took the job and I went in and I knew we went to Marbella um, for a training camp the first week, and the chairman came with us. And I knew, I knew that week. Yeah. I knew that week. I just thought, you a chance, right? This isn't quite right. This, yeah. there's just something not right about it. But there was a catalogue of things that went on. I won't go into detail, but there was a catalogue of things that went on all the time, and and the job just become increasingly more difficult because yeah. you were trying to keep players on side and keep them going, and they're having a tough time results wise. But they weren't getting paid. They weren't getting paid on time, or yeah. they were getting like a portion of the wages and then a few days later another part of the wages and so you there's, there's obviously issues financially at the club and I was looking at the playing budget and compared to the fan base and it just didn't add up yeah. it was like you know this is not I don't see how this is going to work and yeah. as it turned out it's it's what happened and Clarky Clarky uh, got the sack and then Tomo left because he'd gone in with him I went in the next day and 
uh, took training. I'd met Clark that day and said, look, I'm just going to leave. And he went, no, no, don't leave. He said, go in and see what's what. So I went in the next day and um, took training. And we were off the next day, so I drove back home up to Carlisle and then Ryan Law was manager, caretaker, and he phoned me and said, look, you're coming with Clark, what are you thinking? So I was just like, well, the fact you're asking me that tells me what you want. So to happen, nothing against Ryan, you know, it's just football, you know. He, he wants to, you know, he sees me a part of Lee Clark's staff. Yeah. So I totally, I get that, that's football. So I was just like, no problem, mate. I said, look, um, I'll not be back in. Let's just make it easy. I'll not come back in. Saves yeah. me worrying about it. Saves you worrying about how you're going to handle this situation. Let's just make it easier on each other. So then if we ever cross paths in the future, we don't have any issues, you know. No. That's just football. It, it yeah. happens. It happens. It's just how it is. So, um, aye. So that was that. It was a, a, a shame. Um, but I just felt from the f- first week, I just had that feeling it's not quite right. Yeah. Quite right. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's sad, like Gretna, it's sad what's happened to him. I mean, that long he started, it's a football just... league club, you know, always being a football league club. I've played yeah. loads of games there over the years for different teams. Yeah. You know, and uh, gig lane, it was always tough to go to gig lane. Yeah. Never an easy game. And I just, it's just a shame because these towns around Greater Manchester, all these football clubs, they are the lifeblood of the community. Yeah. They are, you know, and they need these football clubs. You yeah. know, and, and I just, it's a shame because there's good rivalries, you know, with Berry and Oldham, yeah. all around there, Rochdale. You've got some good rivalries going on. Yeah. yeah. But you mentioned, I mean, Ken had his hands in Bolton and it nearly went down the tubes. Wigan are obviously in, in, in the mire as well. It's sad, really, what's, what's happening to the East for Buckle. It now. is, it is, it is. It's, um, it's a shame. I mean, I look at Bolton and I think, how is it even possible? Aye. You know, like a club of that size. You Aye. drive past that stadium on the M61 and you see it and you're like, yeah. you know, Going there, I think I might even. I probably went there when I was a child, or on Newcastle in the Premier League, and yeah. you know Sam Allardyce his manager, and they were signing like Campo and Hierro uh, and all these boys, and like JJ Acocha, and <laughs> and I mean they had some players. Did Anelka as well? I think at one point. Anelka, that's right. Yeah, Anelka. And then to think, to think now, like Are they playing Barrow. They're playing Barra. Yeah, Barra and Harrogate. No disrespect. <laughs> Well, Parham, I know. You know, and Big Sam had them in Europe. He had Aye. them in Europe as well. Aye, and all that, playing. That, that's right, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Um, so that leads us on. You're at Livingston doing a bit of work now. Uh, uh, Tony, how much are you enjoying your time there? Yeah, I love it at Livingston. I, I, from day one, um, David Hopkins brought me in. Yeah. And I'd, I'd met Hoppy through a mutual friend. Um, and I was on a coaching course and I stayed up in Scotland in Greenock at my pals James Docks and uh, he'd done a bit of coaching with Hoppy at uh, Morton yeah. so this night we went out for a bit of food and a couple, and a couple of drinks Hoppy come and join us and I met Hoppy and yeah. we got on really well and we just stayed in touch you know and, and then he came around he wanted to bring in a, a, another goalkeeping coach he, I got the call I'd left Berry. Um I was and I just said he said, just come in. And yeah, initially, it was like, come in and do one day a week. One day a week and a match day. Yeah. Just come in and do that at the end of the season. So I've got Neil Alexander. I think he'll appreciate having that uh, older, experienced coach around him that'll, um, that'll help him. And we've got a couple of young goalkeepers as well. We've got Gary Maley as well, big stretch, who's still there now, big Gary. So we've got all the goalies and a couple of younger ones. He says, 
just come and get involved, see how you find it. So I went in, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I mean, I went in and we just kept on winning. It was like, we just kept winning and we got, you know, we got the playoffs. It was nothing to do with me, I'm just there. It was like, it just can't, it was just like a snowball effect. Yeah. And it just kept going and kept going. And, and we got the playoffs and we, um, we beat Dundee United and then we, we had Partick. And even when we beat Partick at home and we had the second game of leg, we still were sitting there not sure. Yeah. We still were like, is this really happening? You know, like, and I, I think even more so for the, the other staff and player and the lads, the players, like your Halberts and your Keegan Jacobs and yeah. your and Alan Lithgow's and all these lads that have come from League One, Shawnee Byrne, all of a sudden now you're on the, right on the, plus we're getting into the Premier League. And we won that game and it was like, wow. And then all of a sudden, we, were, we had a party that night at the club and I can remember sitting as a staff and, I mean, they'd been through some tough times because they kept bringing up the game. Strand right away, I think they might have got hump 5-0 or 5-1. Yeah. And it was like two or three years to the day, we got beat 5-1 at Strand yeah. And now we're in the Premier League. It's like, <laughs> well, this is football. It's crazy, isn't it? So they kept talking about that. And I, I wasn't a part of that time then. So yeah. I could feel like the joy and the, you know, the whole amazement of the whole thing. And then, but then it was a kind of, Everyone sits down and goes, right, we start pre-season in three weeks. What are we going to do? You know, like, we've got players out of contact left, right and centre, you know, and they've all done well, so you might lose players. And yeah. and like, and then the fixtures come out and we've got Celtic away first game. <laughs> <laughs> and then we looked at the first five games and honestly, we're looking at them going, we'll do well to get a draw out of them. You know, it was like literally a draw, you know, yeah. and then, but we're sitting there after five games. I think we were third or second. Right. We were like, oof, yeah, this like is that. all right. You yeah. know, we got off to a good start. And no, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's a, it's a good club. It's a forward thinking. Yeah. We make we the most of what we've got. Um, and there's a real togetherness about what we do as a staff yeah. and, and as a group of players. Yeah, it's yeah. good. What do you make it? I mean, David Martindale, of course, got the, got the job recently. Great to see. And I mean, what a story his is isn't it, in the game as well. What's he like to work with? Dave is good to work with. I mean, you get honesty. Yeah. Um, all he expects is honesty and hard work. Yeah. That's it's just it sounds really simple that, but it's not the most easiest thing for for some people. Yeah. And I think that with Davey, that's what he gives you. He, he'll be very honest. If he thinks something's not quite right, he says it. He doesn't. He doesn't ignore it and let it build up to something more than it should be. So if it's something bump gets said, he gets dealt with bump. And he expects the players to work hard and put in a shift. He expects, he expects the staff to be prepared and doing everything they can to, to help the team. And it, it works. It works. But I think the club's built on that. And I think we, um, we've been conscious since we came up. Um, the first season when we came up, we had still a lot of the same group. Fortunate to keep a lot of them. And they would had this two years of winning games. So they knew each other's games inside out, the back three. We added Liam Kelly to that. So you've got Halkett, you've got Gallagher, and you've got Lithgow and Liam Kelly. So straight away, you've got a real solid base defensively. And um, we could build from that. But the second season was always going to be more difficult because you lose players. You know, they attract the attention of bigger clubs who can give them better contracts. And we understand that. So we have to be slightly different, but we were really... We were really conscious if we didn't want to lose what our identity was as a club and 
what were we perceived as by the outside looking in. And we were always perceived as a team that would work hard, press the life out here, good on set players. So we, we want to feed into that still, and even now. Yeah. We still want to feed into that as much as we can, even though now we do play more football. Because I don't think people actually um, give us the credit on that at times. Mm. They don't actually look. We do actually play some decent stuff at times now. You know, yeah. Granted, when we first came up, we were very direct. But And by the way, if you have Lyndon Dykes up front, you're going to be direct yeah. because you've Absolutely. got a really good centre forward. Why wouldn't you get the ball into probably one of your best players as much as you could? You know, and play from there. But now we're a little bit different, and but we're still effective, and we're still like we're still good on set plays, and yeah. which is a major part of the game for and against. So these are the things that we buy into, and and that's the thing for us as a club. We haven't tried to get ahead of ourselves and be something we're not. Mm-hmm. We try to be what we are, um, and if that if that keeps us in the middle of that table, yeah. happy days. You know. Yeah. But what's the, what's the aim then to get top six? I mean, because you're on a cracking yeah, if we Look, our objective every year is to be 10th. And I know people say things like that, but it really is because yeah. the football club is sustainable and it's financially, yeah. you know, we don't overspend and we do things the right way. And I think it's, it's run really well from the top right through. And obviously Livingston's got its history of having financial problems in the yeah. past. So they don't ever want to go back to that. Yeah. And, and I think that's always in the back of people people's minds which isn't a bad thing um, but our objective is 10th but then yes we're ambitious you know we, we talk to the players and we'll you know what what we achieve will be what they if they want to be top six we can be top six but that's not saying we will be top six we've, not given, we've got no right to be there you've got to earn it so you know we've had an unbelievable run lately we know there's going to be a run around the corner where we don't win every single game like we seem to be at the moment yeah. but then but we've just got to make sure we, we stay consistent with what we're doing and we'll start to turn results around again. That's what we do. And we've done that over the piece, you know, so there's not a panic if we don't win for two or three or four. Yeah. There isn't a panic. It's, look, let's get back to what we know we do well and we'll then get back on that run again. And that's what we've done recently um, with, the, with the wins we've had. And I think we'll continue to do that. And if if we finish fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever it may be, then that's what it will be. But um, we're consistent in how we approach things and I think that's key yeah. for us as a club. Yeah. And of course, you've got young Robbie McCrory there. Um, there's high hopes for him at, at Rangers. Um, how, how, how enjoyable is to work with him? And do you see him going far in the game, uh, Tony? Yeah, Robbie, Robbie's a good lad and he, he's a fantastic professional. Um, I wouldn't expect anything less coming from, from Rangers and how he is. Um, we, we brought him in last year and then he only played eight games because of COVID he got cut short and then you know it was a we waited and waited all summer to get Robbie in because he was starting out his contract I know he had interest elsewhere and we come in we got him back in we got him sorted we got going we didn't have a great start of the season um, and we changed a few things and you know it got we did get the point where we you know Robbie came out of the team um, and Max Trichek come in but Robbie's um, reacted well he's approaching things properly and he's ready to play he's yeah. ready to go and I think he's Robbie's um, it's been a good learning curve for Robbie yeah. because being a, a goalkeeper especially if you're going to play for big clubs at the top level and top, it doesn't always go your way like we were talking about earlier it doesn't always go your way yeah. so you've got to know how to react to disappointments 
you've got yeah. to know how to be around people when things don't go well and you've got to stick to your processes that you're using and he, and he has those and he, and he does that so we've got no qualms on Robbie Robbie could you know Robbie could play tomorrow or someday if he if we called up on him um, but that's what we want we want healthy competition we've Absolutely. got two goalkeepers that can play and that's that's what we want yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and finally, before we finish up, Tony, I know you say you, you, you can't do any of your coaching just now, but um, if anyone wants to get in touch with your, uh, your academy and the schools that you host, how do they how do they do so? Yeah, well, um, well, I've, I have um, goalkeeping skills and I run it for Cells Pro Training, so it's cellsprotraining.com, and that's the website. Um, and I have my Twitter is at Cumbria Cells. So we, we, um, we have venues around Cumbria. Uh, we've got four venues, and I have um, it's for grassroots goalkeepers aged seven to sixteen. Um, so we have three of those, which is mixed girls and boys, and then we also have an all an all girls development centre as well, which um, which we run in Carlisle on a Wednesday. So they run on different evenings. Um, my son coaches for me, so he's full time coaching for me. Um, he's his goalkeeping he has been. He's had no no choice really because he's been around it, you know, from the, this big. So. Um, Roman's coaching, he's doing his coaching licences and I do a little bit of coach education with the SFA now with on the goalkeeping licences so Roman's doing his licences with the SFA yeah. so he's getting that um, and I have a couple of other lads, casual coaches well, and an athletics goalkeeper, Alex Mitchell he's one of my coaches as yeah. well um, so you know, I've got a good mix with that and just trying to help these kids get some professional coaching or some organised, structured uh, development for them, um, which I would have loved to have had as a young kid, uh, make it affordable. And some of these kids, I've had quite a few uh, lads go and sign for clubs, quite a few sign for Carlisle. I've had one going to Sunderland, one into Newcastle. So, you know, if we can help them in that way as well, we will. You know, it's not it's it's to try and help them develop and, um, and make it enjoyable. So... No, it's good. I really enjoy doing it. I like. I oversee a lot of it now. I coach on it maybe once or twice a week. Um, the other coaches take care of it. But you know, it is. It's 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 probably about seventy or eighty keepers a week to it now. So yeah, it's it's good, and uh, I just I, I just, it's just enjoy doing it. And the kids come, and you can see they really want to be there. Yeah. That's the thing. When they turn up, it's like it's like the highlight of the week. Okay, <laughs> training tonight, you know. And you make it fun and enjoyable, and they're all like minded and. To get a good bit of banter going on that now. It's great. You know, it's good to be here now. Yeah, magic. Excellent stuff. Well, it's been great having you on, Tony. Uh, over two hours we've chatted there. It's been absolutely terrific. So time, I lost I track of time. I can talk. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was terrific. It was absolutely magic. So thanks for coming on. No problem at all, Derek. No problem. That was episode 86 of the Talking Football podcast with Tony Cake. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch them all in pretty much all podcast platforms. And we're also now on YouTube. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Football and we're on Facebook as well. Be sure to also check out and subscribe to the Talking Football website. That's talkingfitball.co.uk you'll find a whole load of great content and if you want to sponsor the podcast you can do just that just visit the get involved page on the website or email us at contact at derekclarksports.co.uk i hope you can join me again next time but until then keep safe and bye for now